Before we get started with today's show, I would like to thank a few awesome people. Some personal heroes of mine like Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast Crew, Zulgeek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Jill, Kieran, ZNA, Mikey Tabletop, Cupcake, Kyle, new patron Christian S., and many more have all gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson to support the show. I appreciate all of them very much, and you, listener, can be just like them. Just a few bucks a month gets you some bonus content, voting on episode topics, and much more, including, as always, my undying love and respect. On to the show. Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog, a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a game we've played. My guest today is a friend of the show, panelist on Kane and Rince and co-host of the Character Issues podcast and professional shuttle runner, Brian Edwards. Welcome back to the show. (laughs) I'm very happy to be back and thrilled to be back talking about this game and, and thank you once again for the invitation. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Near Replicant today, uh, but before we get into that, for listeners, Brian was a uh, guest earlier on the show. Last year, we talked about Before Your Eyes, which is still, uh, a year after we did that episode, still one of my favorite games to think about and um, you know reminisce on, uh, despite the subject matter there. So that's an episode everyone should go check out. I, I love that conversation. Brian is, like I said, one of the members of the Kane and Rinse team. And since that other episode that we did, you started your own podcast called Character Issues. So I'm going to uh, turn the floor over to you to tell everybody what's going on on those shows. Yeah, so uh, Phil, thanks again for giving me the opportunity. Kane and Rince is a long-running uh, video game podcast based out of the UK that I very uh, luckily and haplessly <laughs> forced my way into <laughs> about three years ago, and and they haven't kicked me off yet. So uh, mm-hmm. where we do uh, essentially deep dives into uh, games, they they record fifty episodes a year, and and I'm fortunate to be uh, featured on on a number of them, and that, that's a really good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through the course of that, I met a couple of people through that podcast that we started our own podcast last year, and it kind of took a little hiatus, and we reformed, and we're now back on a regular ske- schedule called Character Issues, which is essentially we are building a running list of the greatest to worst video game characters of all time. Yes, U- using the most scientific process <laughs> yes, possible. Yes, right? always we got it. We're dedicated to the science. Yes, um, <laughs> and w- so what I would say to to fans of this show, and and again, uh, a show that I myself am a fan of, Tales from the Backlog, is thank you. Canaan um, Canaan Rents is uh, is is similar to uh, if you're going to equate in my world, Canaan Rents and character issues. Um, there the 
the the question on the SAT test for those Americans would be um, <laughs> Kane and Rince is to character issues what Tales from the Backlog is to the top three podcasts. In oh, which case, yeah. um, on, on Kane and Rince, it's a more analytical look at, at the history of the game that we're covering. And on character issues, it's really just three of us getting to be our dumb goofy selves for a while talking about characters so it's been a yeah. it's been a blast and and once again i can't thank you enough for having me on again because I, I, yeah. like i said i i do genuinely love the show thank you yeah and um i've said many times i said on the last episode i've said it on other podcasts recently kane and rinse is one of the two primary inspirations for this podcast so um, I appreciate you coming on and I, you know, I love the show. I recommend it every chance I get. And then character issues has become a lot of fun to listen to as well. And it's like you said, it's a, it's a much different vibe, a different dynamic. You guys, it's a lot, uh, it's a lot more um, irreverent, if I can say that in a positive <laughs> well, way. Um, I think you're giving us a lot of credit there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And well, thank um, you so much. The, uh, I, I just, and I need to tune into a podcast every now and then to remind me how shitty Chadley is as a character and as an idea, everything about him. Yes, the only character that has, uh, well, I mean, rest in peace to the scoring system, but uh, <laughs> the only character that ever received a negative score uh, and, <laughs> and firmly is currently our 53rd worst, the worst character of all time sitting at the 53 spot. So uh, long may he reign. <laughs> yes, I, th- a negative score is going to be hard to top. We're going to have mm-hmm. to, to dig yeah. deep. Um, <laughs> and if you can spoil... Who's mm-hmm. who's near the top right now in the rankings? Uh, I'm happy to spoil it. We include it in the show notes with every podcast. Our, our number one video game character of all time currently is Ichiban Kasuga from Hell Yakuza yeah. Like a Dragon. Yes. <laughs> I certainly cannot argue with that. So <laughs> I will uh, recommend, as always, that everyone check out Kane and Rinse uh, for deep dive, analytical, thoughtful video game discussions. Um, and check out character issues for the scientific ranking of all the video game characters from Ichiban Kasuga all the way down to Chadley. Yes. So down in the show notes, you'll find links to both of those shows. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Let's get into our game for today, which is Near Replicant, which is an action RPG originally developed by Kavia, hope I'm saying that right, and published by Square Enix for the PS3 and the Xbox 360 in the year 2010. But uh, you and I... I assume we're both going to be talking about the remaster remake. They never labeled it in a way that I can find consistently. Um, They came out in 2021, which was developed by toy logic again, published by square Enix. Uh, The remake is the one with the big uh, decimal at the end of it. Version 1.22474487139694202537. I started making those up somewhere through there. So see if you can catch where I started. Elevator pitches for near replicant. I have a feeling that a lot of people listening will have uh, familiarity with its sequel, Near Automata, which I did an episode on uh, back in the fall. But we'll get into personal histories and stuff, but I feel like people are just less familiar with this game. They just kind of know it's there and it's in the series. Uh, So a little elevator pitch that I wrote is this is a nihilistic trip through a story about a boy trying to save his sister from one of gaming's premier auteurs. Uh, What did you bring, Brian? So I, the, the way I could try to distill this down to one sentence and it rambles on and which I, which maybe goes in line with some of the games themes too. Yes. Is, uh, a boy tries to save his sister from a terrible disease by enlisting the services of a pompous magical book and a vulgar femme fatale to uncover the mystery of the ailment, subsequently finding out that there is much more to their world than they believed. Yes. 
And that is uh, something that leads us directly into the spoiler policy for this episode. So as with Near Automata, if you've played that or most video games that are covered on the show, the story to this game is very important to uh, your enjoyment of it. So we're not going to spoil any big revelations about the story. We're going to set it up probably the what you find out in the first two to three hours, something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but this game is longer than that. It took me 35 hours to get through it. Um, was that about your experience? Yeah, I think uh, my final clock, which is kind of a little misleading with where the last save point is, was just Mm -hmm. under 40. So just under 40 hours I spent with it. Yeah, not a short game. So Mm. we're going to set up the story, but we're definitely not going to spoil any of the the many, many revelations that the story has for us. So we begin each episode by talking about what brought us to the game, uh, what brought us to the series, if we played any other games in the Nier or the Guard series or anything like that. So Brian, why Nier Replicant? Uh, yeah, so much, I think similar to you, Dave, and, and you'll explain in a minute. I mm-hmm. My first experience with Nier was uh, Nier Automata, and uh, that was a game I adored. Uh, it kind of, a lot of people describe that game as coming out of nowhere, and for me, that was absolutely my experience. I the, the demo got a lot of buzz, that first big mech fight, and then you started hearing some things about the story, and I'm like, this seems very much like a game for me. And mm-hmm. so I, I picked it up uh, near to launch, um, and and played through it you know the the multiple playthroughs which kind of ties into this game too and and completed it over the course of a few weeks and so when near replicant was uh was announced i was very excited because i was near to me the original near the ps3 nears i can see it i i can visualize that game in the bargain bin of the GameStop i used to go to (laughs) like i i can see the cover i can see the i it just it was always such a game that felt very nondescript to me when i was literally judging it by its cover and then now I get to go back and experience through the lens of someone who had played Automata. So I was very excited. I, I got the game close to release, played the first five or six hours, and then something shiny floated by, and I got distracted. Mm-hmm. And I'd <laughs> always been looking for a reason to come back to it, but it never quite made the time, you know, because of life and other podcast scheduling and stuff like that. So that yeah. when you had reached out to me and said, hey, this is a, a game I'm considering covering, I, that was, I left right, I'm like, yep, this is, I'm going to play this game right now. So yeah, that's, that was kind of my experience. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I was the same as you, except I, so I played Automata first mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't hear about it when it released though, because it, it came out, I think it was 2017 uh, when mm-hmm. I, I was not really playing video games much then. So I missed it. Uh, this was one of those, that was one of those games and it's a, it's a recurring story on the show uh, that I bought a PS4 in 2019. I look, mm-hmm. I Googled top 10 PS4 games near Automata. So I bought it pretty much sight unseen, played it, loved it. Um, I knew there was a game before it because I started, you know, reading and listening to stuff about Automata, Mm -hmm. but the prevailing conversation around the original Nier is that it has a really good story, but the gameplay is terrible. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, you know, I don't have a PS3 or an Xbox 360 anyway, so whatever, I I guess I'm not playing that. But then the remake got announced. Then the conversation about the... Uh, the repetition and the tedium that's in this mm-hmm. game started to come out and, and resurface when this replicant version came out. And I thought to myself, not for me, that doesn't sound very fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I started gradually over time to, you know, I did that. I replayed near automata 
for this podcast. And I, I started to think like, Hey, you should you, like, I love that game so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should go back and play that one. Like, don't let some people on the internet saying it's tedious, put you off. And right. then, yeah. um, friend of the show, uh, Rick from pixel project radio, uh, invited me to come on his show to discuss near replicant. So I was like, well, I'm doing it now, of course. So, <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, I'm not sure if it's the same way for you, Brian. Well, you don't make the cane and rinse schedule, but no, I, I, I leave that to my benevolent, benevolent overlords to let me know which ones I'm going to be on. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I was going to say, it's really hard for me to play a 35, 40 hour game and then not talk about it on this show because right. I just yeah, sure. don't have enough time to do that. So it yeah. became an episode here too. Um, so the, um, the difference though, and if you want to hear like a detailed beat by beat walkthrough of the story, that's what I did over on Pixel Project Radio. That's not what we're doing here today. Uh, even in the spoiler section, we are going to walk chronologically through the story, but we are not going to hit every beat that happens. Right. So if you want that, Brian, listeners, listen to Pixel Project Radio because I did that over there. Uh, and Rick is an awesome host over there. So. It's downloading in the background as we speak. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, into some opening thoughts here about Near Replicant. Um, I think that this game, number one, first and foremost, is very good. And that those those things with the tedium and the frustration and the uh, the repetition that I mentioned before, those were correct. Those mm-hmm. things that I read were correct. And they did affect my play experience. And then they wrapped into the story in a way that I think is interesting. And we're going to talk about that. This is, uh, the story is really, really good. I enjoyed the story a lot. I kind of knew from playing near automata that I should expect to have my world turned upside down many times. And that Mm -hmm. did happen. And I did enjoy that a lot. So I I come out of this experience, especially as uh, I get further and further in time, and I remember the tedium less, and I remember the story and the music and all of those amazing things more. Um, I, I really liked my experience with this, and I will continue to like it probably more and more as time goes. How about you? Yeah, I I don't want to just echo everything you just said, but my, <laughs> my experience is very similar. Uh, the, the interesting thing, and you've already mentioned the tedium a little bit, is I remember those moments in my playthrough from the start right through and as, as the story progressed, I remember those moments frustrating me at the time as I was physically putting in the inputs to my controller, as I was, mm-hmm. I was controlling the characters and, and doing the various tasks. I remember thinking that this game may or almost it was, it was attempting to waste my time in, in places where it felt like it. But, mm-hmm. but as you said, as my playthrough went through, and now that I've had about, let's say, three, four weeks to sit and marinate on it and, and to really think about the story beats and think about everything else, I forget those moments more and more. And, and I remember the things I loved uh, more and more as I, as I kind of reflect on the game. It, it's a really interesting progression of story. And I, I am thankful for playing it because it did lead me to even appreciate things about Nier Automata more than I already had, that I already mm-hmm. thought I appreciated. It gave me a new perspective on that. So after my 40 hours, it becomes one of those things that I'm not sure if this is a game that I will ever need to replay, to replay, mm-hmm. um, but it is something that I will look back on fondly as a total whole experience. 
100%. And we're going to take a little music break. I already mentioned the music's great, so we can just get that started. Um, when we come back, we're going to do the story setup and talk about the story and characters. You So in Nier, Replicant, you play as a young boy. Uh, canonically, his name is Nier, but you can and should type in your own name. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beginning kind of sets up... Actually, uh, real quick, the the story with this is the, the original Nier that we got here in the United States uh, was not a boy and his sister. It was a father and his daughter because they thought that we could not... Uh, appreciate a story about a brother and sister which <laughs> whatever yeah but yeah i'm I glad mean, they yeah. <laughs> i'm glad they brought it back to the uh the brother and sister i do think that it's um a little bit more interesting that way especially with the deluge of uh of dad games that we have here in yes. in, yeah. in the video game space now mm-hmm. so Nier is trying to protect his sister her name is yona and she's sick and we are in a kind of post-apocalyptic situation. They're in like an abandoned grocery store. Uh, both of them has the, have these weird books with them. These monsters attack. Uh, They're called Shades. And they they look like shadow monsters, basically. They have this, this really interesting like golden or like uh, like bright yellow yeah, like a sheen design to them, too. To them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And it's constantly moving, too. It's a, it's a very interesting design uh, with them. I think they uh, they reminded me a lot of the character designs of the Heartless from Kingdom Hearts in this <laughs> a less cartoony form. And I know that people will laugh at that if they know me because I bring up Kingdom Hearts every chance I have. But um, there's a there's a animalistic quality to them and the way that they move. They're kind of they're they're both uh, bipedal, but also on all fours at times. Um, mm-hmm. And the way they kind of appear uh, from the round the, and the way they swarm and attack did did remind me of that. It was like a um, the essentially shadow monsters that when you, you you start to tell their differences based on their formation, their their size, just kind of the way the character is designed. And you find yourself identifying them uh, independently of one another based on what really isn't a lot of visual data, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason I laugh there is not because of you and your proclivity <laughs> to talk about Kingdom Hearts. It's because on that podcast with Rick, he said Kingdom Hearts are heartless too. And I've never played oh, really? Kingdom Hearts. So I have no <laughs> idea what they look like. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Every, everyone else, you get it. They're like the heartless. <laughs> um, so uh, these shades attack Yona and Nier. And uh, Nier uses his book to gain magical powers. He tells Yona to not touch her book. You get the feeling these are dangerous. Um, he touches his, he gets these crazy magical powers. Uh, you're playing, this is an RPG, you level up like 35 times in a minute and a half. Like mm-hmm. you can tell this is power. This is real power here. And you destroy all the shades. You go back. It is inferred that Yona has touched her book and she appears to die and then fade to black. And that's mm-hmm. kind of your prologue chapter. So before we get further into the story, um, what did you think of that prologue, this opening? I I found it a really uh, 
effective cold opening for the game because it, it establishes your core values in a matter of moments in mm-hmm. a way that a lot of JRPGs kind of tend to drag out. Like the, the, the infamous, um, boy with no name in a town, the, the, you know, a villager leaving town for the first time because of some magical, you know, quest or object or ancient evil. Um, mm-hmm. you, you don't, a lot of times that those, those opening moments are filled with dialogue and not action. And for this to kind of flip that concept on its head and, and within, let's call it a minute or two, you are essentially battling what feels like an unhend, unending horde of these monsters, as you said, gaining power, leveling up very rapidly. And, and, and you kind of get a sense that this might be a, a, a short, like a short journey you're having with this particular character, at least this, uh, in this particular setting. And, uh, it, it is interesting to open up that game, uh, in this way, revealing to you that power, but also having it act as your combat tutorial as well. It's a nice way right. to mask those things into something more engaging as the person playing it. Right. I, I like how you said that it it establishes the core things that you care about and that you should know about this world all in the manner of about five or 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, Yona is sick. You care about Yona. There are dangerous magical books. There are shades out there. And that's, you know, those are some of the core values that follow you through the rest of the game mm-hmm. right there. So it's and it's really interesting how you get pretty much right into the action. You get thrown off guard a little. If you play RPGs, you should be thrown off guard a little bit by the fact that you you level up over thirty times in a minute yeah. and a half. That that does that only happens in key moments in very specific games. Yeah, uh, yeah that I'm exactly. thinking of. So that prologue ends, and then there's a time skip of one thousand four hundred and twelve years, where Two people, a brother and sister, who look the exact same as the characters you just left literal thousands of years ago, named Nier and Yona. Yona is sick, and she's infected with this disease called the Black Scrawl, which I knew from playing Automata is mentioned in Automata, mm-hmm. but um, the Black Scrawl is really interesting too from a, you know, it, it's a disease, a fatal disease, but the way that they show it in the in the game the way they design it it's it's visually represented more than just like you know someone coughing or something like that you get these these scrolls these these lines of these horrible black text scrolling up and down people's limbs um it's like visually very cool but also like you know and you know i don't want to make covid comparisons here but like we we've all had so much experience in real life and in media of deadly diseases. I've never mm-hmm. seen one made out of words. And right. so I don't know what yeah. this is. I don't know what to do with this. We don't know how to cure this. You know, we're going to get a vaccine for language. How does that work? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Those, that, it, that, the way there's those like glyphs, almost like hieroglyphs are spinning around her leg and kind of spinning around her as Yona's having these, I mean, I'm going to call them episodes or, or essentially good days and bad as it seems uh, mm-hmm. fighting this disease. And it, it just you get that feeling of helplessness right away and that yearning for near to to solve this problem. And he feels whether justified or unjustified that it is his problem to solve, that he is though he is the one who is going to cure his sister. He will do anything. His sole purpose is to find a cure for for this black scrawl. And right. um and, and seeking that out kind of becomes your 
your motivation, your impetus to, to leave the, to, to, to leave the house, to go out, to do things yeah. while constantly reminding her that she's the one who's ill, needs to stay back, needs to rest, needs to take care of herself while you are essentially the one going out to find a miracle cure, as it were. Right. And like you said, that's Nier's sole motivation here. He really doesn't care about anything else. And he doesn't, there, this, this isn't a quest to save the world from like the evil, you know, like a dragon or something. I don't know, some JRPG shit. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. he, his motivation is to make money to buy medicine or make money to like keep pursuing a way to cure Yona. And that's his sole motivation. So everything that you're doing, and we're going to get into some of the stuff like the side quests you're doing to make money and how that is kind of represented in this game. Yep. It's all for Yona. And they make that very clear at the beginning. You're, you're doing odd jobs for people. You're, you know, going to go kill some stuff out in the plains. It's all to serve that one purpose of helping Yona. Yep. So uh, the inciting event here, is that Yona learns uh, of a magical flower called a lunar tear. Um, thankful, uh, thank you to Devila and Popola, uh, who are two characters. They're kind of like the leaders in the village for basically telling this young girl like, oh yeah, this really rare thing. It's over in this place called the Lost Shrine. It's super mm-hmm. dangerous. No one goes there anymore. Uh, it's over there. And then yeah. she goes to the Lost Shrine. <laughs> we have to go rescue her because she's in danger. Nier finds a magical book there named Grimoire Vice, who offers to like make a pact in order to help save Yona because there's a bunch of shades. Um, she's unconscious when you find her. So Grimoire Vice is uh, the reason that you get your magic in the game. He becomes one of your companion characters. He's the first companion character you meet here. Mm. Um, how would you describe Grimoire Vice to people? <laughs> he So he's this tome of all powerful magic and what seems to be almost uh like um omniscient uh, levels of knowledge yeah uh, where he knows everything he certainly talks like he knows everything he's got a very pompous drawl to his voice mm-hmm. he is constantly berating you for the silly things you're doing and, and his wisdom yet he also has for either at the beginning, it, it kind of explains it as you've hit him, so he's lost some of his memory. But as it kind of goes on, he he doesn't he's not really aware of his origin. He's not really he remembers bits and pieces of where he came from, what his purpose is, mm-hmm. and he becomes the literal you know kind of cloud hanging over your head, reminding you what you're doing, but also grants you that that power. And through this power, or this this power is represented by essentially words that you find throughout the the world, and then right. the most powerful of which being the sealed verses, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, but he so he's kind of he he takes the place of your knowledgeable companion, your 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 partner in this quest, uh, and near kind of latches on to him because. Grimoire Vice knows of this black scroll, has seen it before, thinks he understands maybe how to cure her of this, and mm-hmm. near being near, he is, wait, you know how to fix Yona? Okay, what do we need to do? What do you yep. need me to do for you? Because everything I do has to lead to saving her. So it kind of becomes that uh, that persistent thought in the back of your head and, and Grimmar Vice, his motivations simultaneously become Nier's motivations because the end goal is the same in curing and saving Yona. Right. And those sealed verses that you mentioned, we're on the quest for those because it turns out once you get back to town, 
um, I believe it's Devila, is singing a song that is about Grimoire Vice finding the sealed verses and yes. saving the world. And so mm-hmm. that's it, you know, a little serendipitous, but um, yeah. that is the quest now. We're on the quest to go find these sealed verses that are, you know, it's powerful magic that's going to allow us um, to cure the Black Scrawl, you know, solve whatever your problems are, you'll be able to solve it. So on the quest, you also run into two other characters that I want to talk about. The first one is named Kaine. She's a woman dressed in some sort of lingerie that I don't have the vocabulary for, but you see her entire ass throughout most of the game. Like almost uncountable amount of times. The amount to to the amount where when you're going through the the game, it becomes less and less shocking by how much they just full on show it to you. Like it's it's in your literally in your face all the time. And uh, Kaine is not only dressed that way, she has a very, um, uh, let's say, aggressive personality. Mm -hmm. She is very vulgar in the way that she speaks. Um, And yeah, what what do we think about Kaine? Because she's she's one of the main three companions that we have. Yeah, I think so. I feel multiple ways about Kaine. Kaine. I, I think she's a remarkable character in this game. I think that her some of her creative profanity i have adopted for personal use <laughs> yes. um i i think that she has a, v- a very much a way with words and her motivations and her kind of backstory become not just central to the game but the, her plight in and of itself is not dissimilar from yona's it just feels like her her she doesn't first of all she doesn't have a brother to solve it for her and second of all she's purely motivated by revenge and vengeance yes and it makes her a very compelling character to get to know and then on the other hand is Mm -hmm. the physical representation of kaine where as she said like she could not be more scantily clad unless she was nude somehow somehow like if she were wearing a bikini it would be it would be somehow more modest because it wouldn't have the same suggestions that her outfit that she is wearing has so it becomes this kind of pull this back and forth where i think she's this deep and compelling and rich character and i think she's got tons of backstory that i'm interested in finding out and i i want to learn about her history which you do several times over and and I, I want to know more about her. I, I want to spend more time with her. I find her interaction specifically with Grimmar Vice to be really some of the best dialogue in the game. But then it's 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 also kind of juxtaposed against this visual representation, which is just unnecessary, I think yeah. would be fair. Um, I, I was going to say it, it feels needless. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story behind it is that uh, this was not a Yoko Taro original design. This was presented to him. He originally wasn't into it and then kind of came around on it. Um, I'm kind of like you, like I, it, it feels very unnecessary to me, but at the same time, I do think it's, um, it lends, she's sort of like the comic relief in this game. And mm-hmm. so the way that she's dressed juxtaposed with what she's saying and how vulgar she is and how much of a badass she is. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, it's a contrast that I think is interesting, sure. but yeah. in a vacuum, if you show me that design, I think it's very unnecessary and almost doesn't fit the rest of the game because no yeah. one else is dressed like that. And there's no real reason for her to be dressed like that, mm-hmm. which is kind of a line that I personally draw whenever I'm, you know, thinking about character designs like this. Um, I have a reputation for being very anti uh, horny character designs. Sure. And I'm like, 
not as down on Kaine's because of that contrast. It at least gives something else to her. She's not just dressed like that. And then that's her whole character. It's very, it's actually very little of her character because no one else talks about it, Mm -hmm. but it is unnecessary. I think. Yeah, I think it would be way more flagrant if she was just some vacuous shell who didn't yes. bring substance to the to the game. I, yeah. I'm also I'm with you. I'm I'm not. So it's it's tough to talk about only only because of the fact that I don't think it's really my place to talk about it. But I'm not mm-hmm. anti horny designs of anything if that is specifically related to the related to the intent of the product or the intent of the design. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, people can be into what they're into. And, and I think that's, you know, there's a whole big Internet out there for anybody who wants to <laughs> search for whatever they want. But within the context of this game, her visual design is the only thing that that like kind of trips me up with her because because everything else, as you said, like and I, I barely mentioned the combat stuff, which is which is pretty important because she is a badass. I mean, she can absolutely tear through these shades and she is clearly a very powerful character who's keeping a very dangerous force at bay constantly. Mm-hmm. And and so that juxtaposed with her character design, it was one of those things that always tripped me up to the point where when it would happen later on in the game, I would I would laugh out loud at it. Just because I, it remind it like it almost like screeched everything to a halt for a minute. And it would remind me what she looked like because most of the time I was just interested in things she was saying, the things I was learning about her and her history and everything right. else. Yeah, and and you said it before, and I agree with you that her story is really good. It's really compelling. The things that you learn about her backstory are uh, number one way more than you learn about most of the characters, and yep. you learn about the next character we're going to talk about too. Um, his backstory. Those two together have really interesting backstories. And the way that Kaine interacts with the rest of the group, like you said, she and Vice are constantly going back and forth. She's uh, demeaning him because he's so full of himself. She's mm-hmm. taking yeah. the piss out of him. He's calling her a hussy, which is mm-hmm. a very funny word to me. Um, <laughs> not You don't hear that very often. Um, and then her interactions with Emil, who's the next character, uh, they have a very sweet a relationship yeah. that um, I just like constantly, anytime you got those two talking to each other, it was so cute. So Emil is a young boy, maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 years old, something like that. I didn't write it down um, if they even told you, but he's your last character that joins you. And Emil, you may know from number one, from near Automata, he makes an appearance, mm-hmm. but from the mask that Yoko Taro wears during yep. his appearances. And it's like the logo of the near series and of him in general that's from emil his character design so i think that emil is like sounds weird to say one of my favorite children in games but he's such a sweet little boy Mm -hmm. and the contrast between vice who's this like you said this pompous book who knows everything or thinks he knows everything kaine who's this vulgar uh, woman scantily dressed and then Emil, who's just a very sweet little boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's kind of that innocence personified, you know, in that game. Mm-hmm. And and the things that you learn about him moving forward are, are always kind of framed around that innocent nature that he has. He is that voice, along with Nier. Nier has a lot of this, too. But for mm-hmm. some reason, when Nier is being, let's say, innocent or optimistic or chill, he's got... He, he's got Grimoire Vice and Kaine kind of bringing him back to the reality of the situation. But when Emil is just being that innocent boy that he is, it, it just it rings 
genuine. And yeah. the way that that dialogue comes across, specifically, there's moments between Emil and Kanye that are just somehow so heartfelt in such a in an unbelievable scenario, right? Like they, mm-hmm. that you really feel like these two two characters have this genuine relationship. They genuinely care for each other. Um, and it, it's just it's kind of amazing how that character develops. Because for me, coming into near replicant playing automata first Emil was just that mask was just that small character from automata and and to see his whole backstory fleshed out here was was wonderful and yes. and i it, it became one of my you know one of the things that you know, have learning new things about the near world through this game. The meal story was one of those things that i like now that character means a lot more to me than he ever did before. Right. Emil and Devola and Popola as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so the reason I wanted to camp out and talk about the characters a little bit in a way that I didn't really do in the near automata episode is because not to talk too much about automata, but I thought that that game, that story was much more about the plot than it was the characters. You could have kind of replaced those characters, I feel like, with another of their archetype, and it would have been a very similar plot, uh, which, you know, they're androids, so whatever. Yep. Like, yeah, they yep. are replaceable. Um, these characters, I think, stand out a lot more, and I appreciate the group dynamic and the the character development in this game a lot more than I did in Automata. And it's a it's a big thing, like, if people are listening to this and they're they played Automata and enjoyed it, I think that this is one of the clear strengths that this game has is this group of characters and how they interact with each other. Automata could be a very isolating and lonely experience at times, even mm-hmm. when two B and nine S were together. And and I know you said and, and I agree with you, I don't want to make this a show where we just talk about Automata <laughs> Compare again. and contrast. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but we coming from both of our lenses, having played that game first, it does inform a lot, at least for me, it informs a lot yeah. of my opinions on this game. And it was nice to kind of have this core group of personalities that you really felt like you were attached to and you had you had investment in the outcome of each of these characters stories mm-hmm. because if you think of the gameplay of near replicant versus near automata they're not that different you have your melee attacks and you have your drone and automata that's constantly firing bullets and doing the magic but your drone in repkin is grimoire vice who is a living speaking character with opinions and facts and gives subtext and and Mm -hmm. and adds nuance to every interaction and um it just it it feels much more like a like a like a group journey in, in in a sense as opposed to just the story of one character at a time as you're moving through it and i think that i think that benefits the story in the long run because by the end i was i wasn't just concerned about yona i was concerned about an entire cast of characters that i'd now yeah. come to appreciate and enjoy yeah and that's not to say i wasn't concerned about what happened to 2B and 9S either right. but yeah. it it i felt it in a stronger way in this game. So that is a clear thing that I think this game does really well is it builds this, this cast, this core cast of four characters and they are awesome. All four yeah. of them. Um, even if, you know, vice is kind of annoying sometimes, but that's his character. And I, well, I, maybe I didn't care f- about what happened to him as much as Kaine and Emil and near and Yona, but, um, I, he's part of the group too. And that group is a, a clear thing, um, that stands out. So, yeah. 
this game um, works with some themes and like kind of through lines through the plot that I want to touch on a little bit, obviously not spoiling things. Um, I mentioned uh, nihilism earlier. Uh, the the tasks that Nier is doing to make money to try to help uh, Yona, they start to get repetitive. You start to wonder if this is going to matter. Uh, what are we even doing here? The characters mention this too. Um, this is a clear thing that uh, also plays into the tedium that we talked about uh, before. Yeah, This game has, um, in my opinion, mechanically, some of the worst side quests that I've ever played in a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see you nodding your head. You're with me here. Yes, I am. Yeah, and and I think based on our correspondence that we were having during my initial hours of the game, um, I believe yeah. I said I believe I made grand claims to you like I'm going to get all thousand achievement points in this game, and I'm going <laughs> to yes. do every side quest because I'm enjoying it so much, and that quickly fades. And having played it now in completion, and I'm not sure if that was wholly intentional by the developers or partly intentional, but I do believe there was some intent there yes. because. There is, without a doubt, um, you, you mentioned nihilism and, and you mentioned just kind of these, these tasks that, that feel very much like there's something out of, uh, you know, like a, like a prison labor camp of moving one pile of rocks to another space and then back. <laughs> yes. Um, w- with no real purpose behind it. And the game does a wonderful job of making you feel that way in a lot of different aspects and then mm-hmm. later on kind of peeling those layers back to make you question your motivations from before to make yeah. you think about things you may do in the future. And, and that tedium, that, that rep- repetition becomes part of that process to a point where I went from not minding it to almost hating it to then completely rebounding to respecting it on a level. I wasn't, I wasn't sure that I'd get to. Yeah, I think that arc works for me too. At the beginning, I was like, oh, these side quests are, again, I played Automata first. That game has shitty side quests too. Yep, so I'm, sure. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, and then these are much more repetitive, much more. Um, I need you to get 10 logs, six beetles, and 10 um, mm-hmm. pieces of uh, plastic. I don't know. And then come back to me when you did, and I'll give you another quest just like it. Yeah. There was a, a fishing side <laughs> quest that was oh. particularly. Um, one of which was involved in the main story. You had to, you had to catch a fish at one point, but yeah. then beyond that, you could continue this line of fishing quests and there were like seven of them and they were just like, it was just needle and haystack stuff. What bait do I need to use? Where do I need to go to try to catch this fish? And each reward that you got from that was a literal lecture from your fishing master that made the screen go black because Nier became so bored during it. And then it said <laughs> uh, some a certain amount of time, and then you would go, and then he'd give you another fishing quest. Like, so on the nose of just what am I gaining from this? And not really knowing it, but still feeling compelled to do. And yeah, that that was interesting to, to me, if not on some levels, very frustrating, but on some levels kind of effective in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And there's, like you said, that fishing quest. I didn't do it because I tried <laughs> the first part of the first fishing quest because the one in the main story, you just go buy a fish. Uh, it's fine. The mm-hmm. the next one where they tell you to go catch something. This game has one of the worst fishing mini games I've ever played. Oh yeah, makes me want to kill fishing mini games in general. Just no more. <laughs> this and after uh, like sixty hours of fishing in Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is another terrible fishing uh-huh. mini game. Very bad. But you have to do game. it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, anyway, 
all of those things and all of these quests and the shuttle running, which uh, mm-hmm. played into your intro, Brian, the amount yeah. of times where one character will say, I need you to go to this place. You go there. Oh, um, yeah, I don't have the thing that that other character needed. I need you to go to this place and get these things for me. Come back here and then I'll give you that thing. And then you can go back to the original place. And then maybe the quest is over. Maybe you'll need to go to that yeah. place again. And all these shuttle running and these collectathon side quests, there is a point to them. I think, I truly think there is a point to them by the creator. Yeah. But they suck in they play. Do. They're There's awful. One- <laughs> There's one in particular, a very flagrant one that I remember where you are, and this might be part of the main story, but, um, because uh, uh, I remember, yeah, but e- either way, you, you're looking for the, um, there's a particular couple that is, that is bickering. And yes. this one, this one character goes off and they say he's going to visit his brother in the main town. So you go to visit his brother in the main town, who's a guard, and you get to his brother who's a guard and says, Oh, yeah, he was just here. He just went back to the town you were just at. Mm-hmm. On the same path you just took, you didn't cross paths. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. You just get there, and it triggers the fact that so you just ran this. It's really not that long of an amount, but when you're doing it for the 15th, 20th, 30th, 40th time, mm-hmm. it becomes just that, like, oh, moment of just, like... Y- all you did was make me run from here and back, and then he's going to be there. It was just like one of those like rip what little hair I have left out moments. Like yes. it, it was it's and and the game is peppered with those for yeah. sure. And again, there I think there is a reason to it. This is part of the storytelling, uh, part of making you feel the way the main character feels. Because again, the characters comment on this. They're like, "Hey, this sucks, right?" And I'm like, "Dude, yeah, it does." Yeah. Yeah. You commenting on it doesn't help me at all. Uh, not that that's the point of the game. <laughs> but I do want to kind of echo what you said, that there was a middle portion of this game where, especially when I was doing side quests, because you you need to. Um, I really did not want to play this game during mm-hmm. the middle portions. It was Sometimes it was like, do I... I know if I put two hours into Nier, I'm going to do some bullshit side quests. I'm going to do one main story thing. And then yep. it's going to be time to go to bed. And that doesn't sound very fun to no. me. No, But it pulls it off. It sticks the landing. And if you just take a second to think about that at the end, I do think that there's a there's a theme and a, um, uh, like I said, a through line to all of this that is pinpointed at the end if you just think about it a little bit. Yep. I mean, that's no, I- spoiler talk for sure. Yeah, I agree completely without going more into it. I think, and, and we certainly will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the other thing that kind of feeds into this tedium is repetition because I, I kind of in the near automata episode and these games have a reputation for this now. So I'm not going to like shy away from talking about it in the near automata episode. I, I caution people like do not believe people who say that you have to play this game five times in a row because that's not how that game works that is kind of how this game works near Mm -hmm. replicant and so you should know that going in Um, each time you play through the story you'll get new revelations about story and character backstory and stuff but you are going to go through the same plot beats at least three times and that kind of sucks again yeah, I'm already feeling the tedium and frustration from the way the quests are designed. Now I'm feeling it because I'm doing some of those same quests for the third time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and in my head, I was doing 
when one doing this, I was doing time jump skips in my head, believing that the next quest was going to be this yes. and forgetting <laughs> about some 15 to 45 minute segment that I had to do and just yeah. groaning, being like, oh, I have to go back to the junk heap and I've got to go down two levels and come back up and get a card and go back down and then jump through this hole. But that's not when the boss is going to be there. I'm going to come back up and jump back down through the hole. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's it's one of those things where. I do, I do feel like Nier Automata um did get I don't want to say unfairly but at least in in incorrectly described as that where there are multiple playthroughs and giant air quotes playthroughs of that game but you there's a different protagonist in some ways and there's different things and and there's you might be doing you might be on a similar timeline but doing a completely separate event or or the gameplay is shift dramatically and this game is mm-hmm. not that yes. um you can definitely see the lineage where the those ideas coming from this game to automata were taken and built upon and iterated on and made better and refined and um but yeah this game this game does have uh sections particularly um in the later stages of of the game when you're approaching the the final end where you're doing things that now for the third time that you might not find yourself having the patience to want to do but for me and i think you felt the same way when talking to you about it what I was seeking out from doing that, my end goal, my whatever the story reveal would be, whatever new information I was getting along the way became my motivation for doing it again. Mm-hmm. And it became much less about about the 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 actions I was doing to get there. It was way more about the goal. And yes. I found myself by that end willing to sacrifice my time. Quite literally what you're doing, you're sacrificing time. You've already spent doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was willing making that sacrifice willingly in order to find out what I, what I wanted to find out. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. And so like when I was going through those repetitions, I was feeling the, the tedium of the play, but I was still driven by, like you said, what I was hoping to happen uh, by going through this, you obviously have an end goal in mind, like you said, and I was driven by seeing how that would play out. Yeah. And so it's, it's a really interesting thing. Like I was thinking about this and we'll continue this in the spoiler section when we have specific things to talk about, but the value that this frustration and tedium has to the story, um, I, I think is kind of irreplaceable. Like I think if you took that out of this game, you would have a lot less to think about once you finish the game, if that makes sense. Are you with yeah. me here? Yeah, 100%. And I, I think that it's that journey as like kind of cliche of a, like, you know, the it's not always about the destinations, it's about the journey to get there. And mm-hmm. and I feel like this game does kind of take some of that and, and, and turn it on its head because that journey you're making has been a journey that you've already made, that you've already done these things. <laughs> yes. You've already, you've already experienced these things, but the destination will be altered in some way or your, your, your frame of reference for that destination may get changed by the things you learn along the way. And it's, right. it's a, it's a, it's an interesting take. And I, uh, what I think would probably be a difficult sell um to 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 get people on board with that like you're you're yeah. asking a lot of the player but i tend to get excited about games that ask difficult things of me or at least mm-hmm. get me to challenge my common thought practices of what a video game should be and how this should go from a to b to c and and this game is definitely a game that did that on multiple occasions and at some points it frustrated me and other parts i was full on delighted by it yep yeah i i agree i now that I'm finished and I have the benefit of 
looking back on this thing that's that's done um i i agree there there is value to this uh, this is it plays into the story and i'm not sure again i'm not sure that this what the what yoko taro is trying to say would not hit as in such an interesting way without this i'll say yeah. that um yep. there is i do want to mention um I'm not sure if people are aware of this. If you played the original Nier or if you're coming to this fresh, there is a new root, they call them in the Nier games. We call them, I don't know, a new <laughs> ending, uh, a fifth ending in this. And you do need to um, collect all the weapons to get that. There, are th- I think there's 33 weapons 33, yep. in the game. You need to get all of them to do that. And the process of getting those is part of that um, tedium for sure. So yeah. I, I do want to, point that out because if you're playing the newer version, the replicant version, it would be a shame to miss on that ending. If you're the type of person who doesn't read guides or anything like that, it would be a shame to miss that because it is really good story content, Uh, but it is kind of gated behind that. I want to let people know. Yeah. And that's one of those things that I've, I've absolutely played with a weapon guide open. Yes, me too. Because it became very clear to me by the you know the as i was getting further on and and things that happened that i now wanted to see everything and in order to do that i had to complete this literal checklist so yeah i wanted to make sure to have it up for me and and for me that didn't hinder my experience i know sometimes guides can take away from for certain people it, they don't normally bother me i normally use them as a means to get past uh frustrating obstacles but in this mm-hmm. one it was really just as a means for my own mental survival to know that this is this is where i'm going and i'm going to get all these things Yes, uh, because had I completed that third repeat playthrough and missed yeah. one weapon and had to do it all over again, I would have been actually mad. So Yes, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, all right, so we have talked about the story. We're going to listen to some music, and then we're going to come back and talk about how this game looks and how it sounds. So this game is interesting, I think, because this game has a ton of atmosphere, I think. So it plays into the story, of course, but I'm kind of of the opinion that most areas of this game look generic, and they look like a PS3 game that's been Mm -hmm. uh, remastered a bit. I think that there's a couple areas that are visually striking. Most of them, I think, are not, and it's, it's incredible to me how much the music carries the atmosphere in this game i think it is thick and if you played near automata like the two of us you probably expected this and i was not let down by the music in this game at all no uh I, automata was one of my favorite soundtracks for sure and this game 
kind of shows you where that was born from and the the thematic elements of the score and and in the themes and there are these wonderful moments and this is a moment that I will never shut up about for anybody who ever gives me a chance to talk about it mm-hmm. there's this theme that's constantly playing this kind of lute and drum theme that's playing in the main town and Devila is most times either sitting at the fountain or in the tavern right and and when you get close to her like the proximity, whatever clicks in and you start to hear her vocals for this song. Mm-hmm. And that moment, the first time I walked out of that house, I'm going out, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm crossing the town and I hear those vocals. I just go up to her and I was just frozen. I was just sat there and listened to it until it started to loop again. It was one of those things that like I had to kind of pry myself away from doing from time to time because it just, it added just like you said, thick, it, this, this layer of like, it, this layer of emotion that I that I didn't even have really a right to feel yet, but I felt like it was going to mean something at some point. And man, it just the term "take your breath away" is is way overused. But there were moments in that game when musical cues and um and you go uh, and some of the feels when you run out the, this theme and, and you see these landscapes, it's just kind of like like you said, the visuals aren't exactly stunning or breathtaking. But there's moments where this game is just like like it hits you right in the like right in the chest with this weight the weight of the music with what you're doing it's 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 impressive stuff mm-hmm. it's for me it was the moment when you walk into the airy for the first time which is yeah. one of the actually visually striking places you go um, yep. it's this two sides of a canyon basically with these these wooden you know uh what's the word uh Boardwalks, like, basically. Yeah, board, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're like long wooden bridges kind of with these right. s- platforms in the middle that is kind of like bring, like this almost like a mountaintop village-y type of, uh, type of feeling to it. Right, and they have these um, these these strings with all these flags flapping in the wind that, that string across like the length of the, uh, the canyon. And the music is, it's beautiful. It's like this, this choral arrangement with... Um, almost kind of like chanting in a way. And then there's a melody that you can follow and it all hits at the same time. So you see this very visually striking place, the music kicks in and you just, just put down the controller and just sit there for a little bit and just take yep. it all in. And there were not lots of places that had the visual side of that for me, but most of them had the the music side, like down a plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I felt that way the first time. In fact, it's it's still the lock screen on my phone. The screenshot I took, uh, you're running. It's it's on the in the field that you go across to get to the area. I forget which um. I think I'm not thinking, maybe the northern the northern field, whatever, where the big mm-hmm. railroad broken railroad bridges. And there's these mountains in the background, and this music is playing, and and the vocals kind of kick in after about you know five or six bars. And you can be, you can be ambushed by shades or sometimes by giant boars out there and other <laughs> things. But there was this moment of just kind of s- standing there looking across this bridge that hadn't been built yet and seeing this, this, this landscape behind me and just kind of like taking in that, like, wow, like video games, man. Like, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, video games. They, these <laughs> things, these things rule, don't they? Yeah. Like yeah. it was just, it was one of those moments that, and this game is, is, is full of those. Like you said, maybe not where it's not your, you know, God of War, where you're gonna uh, Ragnarok, where you're gonna use a photo mode and 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 see Kratos's pores, right? You know, it's not right. that, but it does have. It, it speaks a language that, like, if you're jiving with it, you 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 are really into it, and yes. um, and that's the way that's the way I ended up feeling. And and for all of the repetition too, um, it's like it's like a good JRPG 
uh, battle theme, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to be doing this, these things dozens of times. And how do you feel less bad about that? It's like, well, you know, if it's got a banger soundtrack, you know, it's going to, it's going to make doing those things again a lot more palatable. I'm glad you brought that up because that was the only thing that kept me from like putting the controller through the screen. Like the 75th <laughs> time I had to go back to the junk heap. Oh, yeah. Because the song in the junk heap fucking rules. Yes, and, it does. Yes, and it so does. like I'm going through that factory for literally the 20th time, but the song is great. And I can like at least jam to the song, kill some yeah. robots and get through onto my destination. You're hopping in that mine cart again as yes. it moves slowly <laughs> again. Like, yeah, it's yeah. There, there are moments there where you are just like. You're kind of at a loss for for how like well, it gives you that like why am I doing this thing and then mm-hmm. the game will provide it'll provide some uh, some reason for it and then you're like oh, okay that's why you know and like it, it it's full of those ups and downs it really is something yeah um, the soundtrack is a little bit less dynamic than the one in Automata which is like an incredible achievement in that game this game has some of that dynamic soundtrack elements too they're just not like as clear i feel like yeah. um and there's yeah. no like 8-bit version of all the songs which i love right. from the other game yeah me but too. the way that the music still does build from a very basic version up to a more intense version depending on what's going on is still really impressive in this game too yeah they they have actually it's they you know the soundtrack uh keichi okabe i think i'm pronouncing that right i apologize for if i'm not um they they're really good at at establishing themes mm-hmm. and establishing motifs that are reused throughout areas, but altered in just such a subtle or specific way that make you know you're in a different place, make you know you're in danger, make you know that you're safe. You know, it's it's all of those things you want out of a soundtrack. It's not just a soundtrack that's pretty music. It's a soundtrack that can guide, that can provide relief or tension. Like it's it, like you said, it's not as dynamic as as Atomata, but it 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 has. It has what you need there, I think. It has those core components that make you, when you're done playing it, it's one of those games, for me personally, that I could put on a Spotify playlist of this soundtrack right now and just be, you know, thrilled from beginning to end, most likely. Excuse me, most likely. Yeah, absolutely. And You mentioned themes to it and kind of motifs. This game does have character themes for Mm -hmm. a lot of the main characters, which is something I wasn't expecting. So Kaine has her own music that plays during her story moments. Emil does too. Devil and Popola have the song you mentioned from the village, uh, which I recognized from Automata from a key yep. scene in that game. And then the way that those motifs are brought back, if I'm remembering all of my Pixel Project radio music uh, education, um, <laughs> the way that those are brought back and reused in different emotional states throughout the game um, it's really, really effectively done, like the way that Uematsu is famous in Final Fantasy for yeah. doing that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it just it's it's like you said, it's 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 it adds weight, it adds gravity to moments where the where the moment calls for it, mm-hmm. and adds relief in moments where the moment calls for that relief, and and it, it cannot be overstated that I uh, that the importance of the music to to what you're physically doing during the game it, it really does help, kind of soothe some of the tensions you might be feeling because of it's a difficult emotional scene or just because you're doing it for the 15th time like there's Mm -hmm. it it serves that purpose it's always kind of there for the player in a way to kind of guide them to to count to counsel them through whatever happy or horrible thing that's going on uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know in the story 
Yeah. Uh, did you have any other kind of standout tracks or area themes or character themes from the game? I, 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 I would have mentioned the junkie had you not already uh, brought mm-hmm. it up. I do think that, um, the desert village, um, has has a re- there's these moments when you're riding around the desert village on what is basically a <laughs> sand taxi and you're forced yeah. to sit and yep. wait and um and I do think that 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 theme was was very nice very I don't call it light but it, it was very you know it, it sounded like a desert theme I don't know how else to explain it it just does it's like mm-hmm. I've never lived in a desert I've never I can't I couldn't write you a theme right now that would lead to that but it it, it felt appropriate and and those treks out to that village sometimes were some of the more the longer and more tedious specifically and when there's plot related things that we won't get into now um and also plot related things we'll get into now when you know you're going to a place where you don't necessarily want to go because what is going to happen what you already know is going to happen mm-hmm. um it does provide that that sense of guidance there um yeah yeah i, I can't say enough about it i, I love it yeah 100 percent. the uh, the other thing i wanted to point out about the music that is a point of praise is that uh, most of the songs have vocals in them which is not mm-hmm. something that most video games do uh, a lot of it's instrumental and the vocals in this game are sung in a language that's not English. I believe it's made up for the uh, the game, although it sounds an awful lot like Japanese to my untrained ear. But mm. it's not Japanese. It's it's a it's a made up language. So yeah. the vocals end up being another instrument rather than something that you have to like pay attention to what they're saying right. or something like that. And the melodies that the vocals have are so catchy and not in like a fun poppy way, but catchy in a. Uh, just just an earworm way mm-hmm. and you have single vocals you have choral vocals like the one in the airy is full choir it sounds like yep. it's it's intense it's in your face um so i want to point that out because i really like video game vocals in music and i think this is a great way to have that but not have it distracting in any way. Like I loved listening to persona five where there's words to the songs and stuff. Uh, but this one, it's just another instrument in the arrangement. Yep. Um, I found myself making up my own words to it. (laughs) Uh, what I thought it sounded like, uh, there was a good, a good week after I finished the game where my son was, my five-year-old son was wandering in the house, just going Mr. Mime. Cause we sounded, thought it sounded like Mr. Mime. And he thought that was pretty great. And, uh, there, it, yeah, it's just one. Of, it's one of those things that, like, having that be a made-up language or a language that you um, might be a combination of of, of different languages. It it gives it that ability to just be that melody and not be anything that you need to try to either suss meaning out of or vocals that you might want to ignore because they're not something you identify with either. Yeah. So or because they're bad. Which yeah, is so, yeah. <laughs> some <laughs> of the, yeah. Like some of the Persona Five vocals, the lyrics, not great, uh, if we're being honest. But yep. yeah, I, I wanted to kind of camp out and talk about music for a while because uh, I do think the music, like I said, provides so much of the atmosphere and so much of the the mood. The other thing that provides uh, mood and kind of emotion in the game is I think there's some pretty good voice acting uh, by, mm-hmm. especially by Kaine and vice is vice is vice. If you, you've heard him, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Kaine and Emil stand out to me as like very good and very emotional at times, uh, voice acting performances. It it sounds ridiculous when you, if you were to look at Kaine's dialogue on paper and then for me to tell you that I think that vocal performance is subtle in a lot of ways, you'd be <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I mean, this like this overt, 
overly vulgar, you know, kind of um, yeah, like real sure. crass on purpose. Her type telling of- a boss she's going to rip its fucking eyeballs out and piss <laughs> in its eye sockets. Yeah. Literal quote from Kaine. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, yeah, so she she's definitely got she's sorting through some stuff there. But yes, <laughs> there are there are moments where she is just kind of. Uh, she she brings that emotional resonance home in a way that I, I think like to be able to pull off both those things in a performance I think is great and I think I, I think Emil um, there's just so much to that performance that I'd love to talk about uh, but I think first and foremost uh, without getting into any spoilery stuff is that Emil goes through a lot yes Emil goes through a lot. And the way that those vocals are after particularly challenging or emotional times were like, you know, I, I'm, I, I've gotten never having kids to be a little bit more of a sap than I was before. I've cried at certain games. I don't cry at every game, but I, I was on the verge a couple times with this Emil performance. Some of mm-hmm. the things that were said after these challenging times, like really brought home the gravity of the situation. And, and yeah, that, that performance. <laughs> You know, there there were certain times playing through again and and doing the things we already talked about where you'd be tempted to skip some cutscenes, you know, because you've seen these things before and you just want mm-hmm. to get to the next part, blah blah blah. And with the Emil segments, I, I always found myself just re-listening and and kind of letting it wash over me. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say that that Vice or Yona or Anir or Devil and Popola are not good. They are. Yep. They sound great. Um, it's just there are some especially emotional scenes uh, with Emil uh, and Kaine, sometimes both of them together, but I do want to give them their their extra props. uh, Yeah, 100%. So uh, let's listen to a bit more music when we come back. Let's talk about what it's like to actually play this game. So, near replicant, we're going to be talking about the re- the remaster, the replicant version 1.22, whatever version. <laughs> uh, the original version, again, I heard the gameplay was very bad, even at the time. Um, not much variation to it. The remaster combat uh, was updated to be more like near automata. There was mm-hmm. a uh, a consultant or a team member from Platinum Games uh, named uh, Takahisa Taura, if I'm saying that right. Almost certainly not, but overseeing it and making sure that it was close enough to what it was in Automata. Mm-hmm. What we got, I think, is it's not Platinum Games quality, I don't think. It's kind of like a, we have Platinum Games at home. And so it's good enough. <laughs> it's fluid. It's yeah. entertaining. There's lots of flourishes, uh, entertaining animations while you're fighting, but it is a very simple combat system at the end of the day. You have your hack and slash, your block, your dodge roll, and you have your magic. Uh, you have a light attack, mm-hmm. heavy attack. Um, you can shoot magic spells. You can charge up magic spells and shoot them, but that's it. And like part of the platinum games thing is doing those things to build up to stronger attacks. And there's just not anything yeah. to build up to in this game. So you are 
doing very similar combat. Most combat uh, encounters are basically the same. And yes. so it's, it's, it's fine. It's not bad. I didn't hate it, but I was also like, I played Bayonetta three a couple months ago now, which is a platinum games game. And it, the, the difference is apparent, even though there was a, an advisor from mm. platinum working on this. Yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. The, the, the variation in enemy design variation in combat encounters just mm-hmm. seem to be how quickly can I either get behind this enemy or break the shield or, 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 Oh, this enemy's got a pink bubble around it. So I can't use my magic. So I got to get in tight until the shield breaks. And, mm-hmm. um, there, there wasn't a lot of variation there. It did, like you said, have the flourishes. There's a, there's a great, uh, dodge mechanic that literally basically puts your character on ice skates for half a second and scoops <laughs> you right around to the back of the character. And I, yes. I use that all the time. And when you hit it and then, and, and, and knock it and, you know, get one of the shades knocked out, like it, it does feel good when you hit it. But once you've done it once, you've kind of seen the thing and it makes you do the thing often. Um, I, I think that I'm not sure if you had this, Dave. I had the claw grip problem where I always kept my magical attack kind of on that rapid fire, like the, the constant pulsing of like the bup, bup, mm-hmm. bup, bup, And so my, my pointer finger would always be on the right bumper. And I kind of have to like rearrange my hand to kind of like do the other attacks. And like by the end of a long session with Nier, I could kind of feel that in my pointer knuckle, just kind of like from constantly slamming on that right bumper. Um, and the reason I did that wasn't because I needed to. It was just because it worked, so I just did it. And I wasn't really forced to change my strategy because there was nothing that the game put in my way to tell me that I had to. So right. I just kind of sat back on what I was comfortable with. There's some variation in weapons later on in the game where you can kind of heavier weapons or mm-hmm. quicker weapons, but but you're essentially just you're swapping weapons for damage numbers and... If you have a decent weapon, no matter what the, what the, you know, the size or style of it is, your, your damage per second is going to be fairly similar. So not a ton of variation there. Yeah. Um, the, the one way to mix it up, I feel like is to use different magic and you'll end the Mm -hmm. game with maybe like 10 magic spells. You don't have a whole lot. You can equip two of them at the same time or, uh, what I actually noticed and then forgot about and then noticed again while prepping for this is you can actually remap all of the uh the the bumpers and the triggers so you can actually take away your dodge roll or your block if you want to equip four magic spells for example yep. the game will let you do that there's absolutely no reason to do that <laughs> right but, yeah uh you can so the way that I tried to mix up the combat was to mix in new magic spells. And I just wonder, like, did you mix it up or did you roll with similar stuff through the game? I, I would mix it up for certain things just to kind of like try it. If I was going through another open field again, I knew that I would be swarmed by a particular type of shade. I would, you know, I tried the shield for a little bit. I tried, um, there's the one that, uh, it swarms up the spikes from the ground in a yeah. like kind of a cross pattern, and then you could kind of hold that for a bigger attack. I, I switched it up some, but I basically reverted to the near automata, you know, drone is Gatling gun type of mm-hmm. that was kind of my baseline. I'd mix it up a little, but it it really that's the one I just kind of became comfortable with. And and like you said, I I could create that variety for myself, but uh, the combat. I would say by five to 10 hours in was became quickly. It was not the thing I was there for. So I didn't mm-hmm. think about it that much. It was more yeah. just an obstacle than an actual. So then like a, a, you know, a, a procedure to engage with, to like get satisfaction out of. 
Yeah. Yeah. They, and what happened with me is kind of similar. Like I would mix it up and then I would realize I don't really like the spell that has the spikes that come out of the ground. It's not as right. useful as it looks like it is. So I'm just going to go back to, like you said, the rapid fire one. And then the one that's called dark Lance that shoots a, yeah. a Lance. Um, yep. and you can charge that up and shoot like 10 lances. Uh, yep. and I, that's what I did for most of the game. And then sometimes I'd be like, you know, there's one spell where a giant, you know, black hand materializes yeah, and you that's punch right. the yeah. enemy with this giant hand, yeah. but it's super slow and it's not, it's not as effective as I would like it to be. So yeah. back to the dark Lance we go. It almost feels like the game knew this as you went to, because the first couple times you get a new spell, it it's this like thing like the game lets you know this is what it does it almost kind of makes it like a like a form function of like the next enemy you face is going to be something the spell will be very useful against and then it kind of abandons that i'm not sure if that's just because the game wasn't designed with that in mind to begin with or if it just became one of those things where it just felt like you know like a christmas tree where you're just hanging on more ornaments more ornaments as you go but <laughs> like the only thing the only thing that really draws the eye is the star at the top of the tree you know what i mean like it it's mm-hmm. just kind of uh it doesn't weigh you down it doesn't it doesn't create enough of an obstacle that you need to think about it and yeah so so i i often chose not to yep and so this is the point where i'm gonna make a recommendation for people unless you are like morally opposed to it Play this game on easy because mm-hmm. I don't think that there's anything in this combat that like this, this game's not difficult on the normal version, right? but things have a lot of HP. And so battles will go on for longer than I felt like they should. And you are doing the same three hit combos over and over and over again, or three, yep. five hit combos. And there's nothing bigger to build up to. There is no ultimate attack, you know, like in a Bayonetta or something like that. So to cut down on some of that, um, maybe you get tired of the combat. I never like got tired of it, but I was right. Yeah. There was a certain point, 10, 15 hours in where I was like, I'm just going through the motions. Now there's nothing new that this game's going to present to me. So my formal recommendation for people is to play this game on easy. And I told myself I was going to, and I would like, you can't change it unless you're in the main menu. And I would tell myself next time I start, because I'm too, you know, too, I don't know, something wrong with my brain. I'm not going to quit out and change the difficulty now. Next time I boot up the game, I'll change it. But then I forgot every time. Yep. So don't be yep. like me. Just play it on easy. You are not going to miss anything, I promise. This game doesn't have a worthwhile challenge for you in that way. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that part of it, like a lot of people have a thing about playing on easy or normal. Some people want to play on the hardest difficulty. I just don't think this game does enough to, to warrant that. And I, I played through on normal cause that was a setting very similar to you. I just kind of played on that. And, and I don't think that limiting the combat difficulty does anything because this game throws healing potions, med- medicinal herbs, everything at you mm-hmm. in, on such, at such a rate that it becomes inconsequential. It's just, it's, it's one of those moments like how many health cells do I want to use during this battle? And, mm-hmm. and you, you have them. It's not, it's not really much of a, much of a consideration. Right. So the, uh, the one thing that I will say about the combat that I think is cool is that the boss fights are spectacles. Mm-hmm. Again, not super mechanically interesting. You may have to like wait for a weak point to expose itself or do the, you know, the, the legend of Zelda, the Dodongo's cavern boss where you pick up the bomb and throw it in yeah. its open mouth. 
you might have to do something like that, but there's not a real mechanical challenge to the bosses, but they are cool spectacles. And so even when I was going through the game for the third time, seeing the same bosses for the third time, I was still enjoying those fights because they look cool. And, um, at least it's, it's something different. You know, they, they're not, there's not that many boss fights in the game. So when they did come up, um, I was always pretty much uh, up for it. Yeah, me too. They, the character design, a lot of those bosses is, is interesting at, at the very least. And sometimes, grotesque or hilarious or both mm-hmm. um they 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 vary in in style and shape and kind of uh you know, there's there's one particular that i'm thinking of that i won't mention because of spoilery stuff that is just massive like it rises out of the ocean in this in this kind of colossal way that that mm-hmm. it, it like sets you back because you hadn't seen anything quite like that to that point and it, it, it's effective in that way and and yeah but but then again the act of actually beating that boss is neither hard nor satisfying right but <laughs> but it but they are but they are something to behold so it, yes. yeah it does create that interest there yeah um and i forgot to mention this about like the general combat but it really comes back to my memory when i'm thinking about the boss fights here but the a lot of enemies will attack you with melee, but m- most of them will shoot uh, these big projectiles at you, and it's mm-hmm. it's a three D bullet hell type of thing. So that was always kind of interesting for me to try to avoid getting hit. And again, it's not hard, and if you do get hit, it's not a huge deal because it doesn't take a ton of health, and you have a million healing items. Yeah. But I, I do think the three D bullet hell is is still fun, like on a very basic level and then in the boss fights those start to get into those like screen full of things to avoid uh, which are visually cool and you know give me something to do besides that yeah. five hit combo <laughs> it does it does like uh it it had it's it's weird to say that this had vibes of a game that came out later than it so maybe returnal has near vibes or vice versa but it gave me some returnal feelings there when mm-hmm. these these kind of massive orbs are coming at you that are the size of or near to the size of your character and you're you're forced to navigate this 3d space while while kind of you know falling back on some shoot 'em up game type ta- tactics and things and it does it does create for some interesting scenarios there for sure yeah yeah so i don't you know i don't have a whole lot else to say about the gameplay itself like the combat we talked about the side quests we talked about the repetition um the levels the way that they look um they're unspectacular in the way they look i think most of them there are a couple that are stand out like visually yep. very cool uh, but the other thing about them is that the levels are empty they're big, they're empty. This is not a game where I found myself wanting to explore every nook and cranny because the most I'm going to find is, you know, an item pickup used for a side quest or crafting materials or something like that. So despite how big, like the desert level you mentioned is pretty big, but I was never like poking around in all the corners of the map. I knew there was nothing there. Yeah. It it almost, it, that's where I think it wears its PS3 era yeah. design, um, on, a, you know, kind of on its, on its sleeves in, in this remake, because there, there really isn't a lot to do. Those, though, that era of video games was kind of filled with these, look, we can create this giant open space, which at the time was novel and new and, and really interesting. And, um, and we've obviously built on that over the years, but, 
there's not much to do in those areas unless someone had given you a side quest which spawned a specific thing or event in that place yeah. there wasn't going to be anything new you weren't going to all of a sudden be branching open in a new path or breaking down a wall and finding something that you didn't know was there right so you know the the uh, the flip side of that is that this is a kind of post apocalyptic world it is empty because you know the story says it should be fairly empty but it's still just want to point out to people from a gameplay perspective that exploring these is often not very rewarding. The best thing you're going to find is a new weapon, which you do need. So it is cool when you find them, but most weapons are either on the critical path or they're from side quests. So right. just another reason to keep that guide open. So you're yes. not scrolling <laughs> over, pouring over a, a desolate field with nothing quite in it, except for, uh, uh, you know, repetitive battles there to make sure yeah. you know where you're going to get what you need. hundred <laughs> percent. So I think this is a good time to get into some kind of wrap-up thoughts and recommendations before we get into the spoilers, which is the meat of uh, this game, talking about the story and stuff. So, Brian, who would you recommend near Replicant 2? Um, and if you have any other just kind of wrap-up summarizing thoughts. Yeah, I I think I'd I think I'd recommend near Replicant to somebody who um, who likes unique video game experiences, but someone who also has the patience to see it through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a criticism of, of a player. Um, we all have our preferences, right? And, and I tend to be, I mean, I play JRPGs that are long and boring and, and, and kind of slog through things. And I, I kind of enjoy part of that as part of the process of playing games. Um, if, if you're not, um, if you're not patient with games that don't seem to respect your time, the first literal 20 hours of this game could be a frustrating experience, as it was for me, too. Um, but I do think that there's that reward there that is worth it. So if, you, if you're if you into good video game stories and video games that don't necessarily feel like anything else, save for Nier Automata, which if you've <laughs> played it, um, I, I think this would be for you. I, I I tend to be someone, especially now as I'm as I'm getting a little older, that that much more values a game that even if it might not be technically as good in big air quotes as other games, it offers me something unique and different and makes me think a little bit. That that's that's kind of what I'm more into. And this game certainly checked a lot of those boxes for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that this game is um greater than the sum of its parts, like especially from a gameplay mechanical side of things. Uh the story and the music do a lot of heavy lifting toward like mm-hmm. putting this up into a game that I am recommending to most people. It's it's interesting how 
you know, when I itemize it the way I do on the show, and I talk about the combat, and I talk about the level design, and I talk about designed tedium, which I do, again, think that's part of this. Yeah. All of those are things that I'm not like, you know, the combat's fine. It's okay. The levels are empty. It's not fun to explore. You're going to go to the same levels that are empty and not fun to explore 25 to 30 <laughs> times. Those are all negatives, but the story and the music are so good. Yep. And the way that they tie that tedium back into what the game is trying to say, I think is is genius in a way. And I do recommend it, like you said, to to anybody who wants a unique video game experience, a story that's told in a way that a video game is the best medium to tell this story the way they want to tell this story. You know, Mm -hmm. if you value that similar to before your eyes, like we did before play this, it's very good. And then it should go without saying if you played automata and liked it, but haven't played this one, you got to play this because there are tie-ins. Yep. And even though the tie-ins are minor, I think they are there and I have a very strong feeling that the reason you loved Near Automata is also in this game. Yeah. Uh, unless you loved it because of 2B. Well, Kaine's in this game, so never mind. No excuse. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. A pretty easy recommendation to a lot of people there. Um, yes. It's, it's just, you know, if you are going to get really mad by repeating the same stuff over and over again, that's part of this game. There's no getting around it. So. A uh, little housekeeping before spoilers, Brian, where can people find a uh, cane and rinse and character issues um, besides the usual places? You guys got anything else other than like, you know, uh, your favorite podcast app, basically? Yeah, no. Yeah, we're basically on everything, I think, at this point. And um, yeah, you can uh, it, as long as Twitter's still standing, you can find us there. And um, mm-hmm. we're always putting out new themes. We just put out a, a we, we put out calls to our listeners for character recommendations and everything there at at issues character on Twitter. And then mm-hmm. I'm at Brian Tendo 64 and Kanan Rince is at Kanan Rince. And the new volume, we're recording it now. First episode of, of the year just went live for everybody. And if you're on the Patreon there, you can um, you can uh, get those episodes episodes early and with more bloviating by people like me. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's where you can get us. Yeah. And so I'll reiterate what I said at the beginning that, uh, Kane and Rince is one of the big inspirations for this show. I think it's an excellent podcast, uh, well worth the Patreon money that I, that I give awesome, awesome show. And then character issues is a, is a, a nice place for you and Leah and, uh, Rich to, uh, let loose a little bit. Talk yeah. about how much Chadley's a piece of shit because that those conversations uh, just don't don't quite he's, go on Kane and Rince, do they? He's a no. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> know if Leon would let me get in the way with saying that Chadley's a real son of a bitch on the Kane and Rince podcast. Right. <laughs> but we get into that on character issues. I'll yes. have you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, so both both very entertaining shows uh, in their own right. Heavy recommendations. Check Thank down you. in the show notes uh, for links. Or while I'm talking about Tales from the Backlog here, just tune me out. It's the same thing I said last week. Go search Kane and Rince and character issues. So for Tales from the Backlog, uh, I think it would be really swell of you, listener, if you left a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app, as long as that app is Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podcast Addict, because the other apps don't let you do that. Uh, but that would be very helpful. Um, I have a Discord server with lots of cool people. There are lots of people who've played near Replicant, so this would be a good week to jump in and start talking about it with us. Uh, that'll be a good time. Um, I also have a Patreon page for this show and for a top three podcast, if that's a way that you would like to support. Uh, I appreciate everybody who does. And even if you don't, I still love you anyway. So 
Uh, the other thing is a top three podcast, which is my other show where we do top three lists. And that show, I think, is a pretty good time. Uh, you should check that out if you want to hear me talk about things that are not video games. So Brian and I are going to take a break. And when we come back, the spoiler gloves come off for Near Replicant. <laughs> I'm back with Brian, and we're talking about spoilers for Near Replicant. And we're going to talk about the stuff uh, before the time skip here. We're, we already talked about Kaine and Emil and Grimoire Vice and the sealed verses and stuff. I actually don't think that those are like, you know, getting the sealed verses is not the most interesting part of the game. Although there are some points that I want to just kind of go through, maybe, you know, lightning round style of uh, interesting stuff that I saw or was pointed out to me. So the first thing is that I want to know if you caught this when you were playing either the first time or when you were doing Route E. Did you catch... Oh, by the way, people, when I say spoilers, I mean real spoilers. We're not going chronological through the order of spoilers that you get. So if you haven't played, get out. Yeah, We're going to spoil everything right now. We might spoil Route E in the next two minutes. So yes. Okay. So there's your warning. Get out. And action so brian (laughs) did it mean anything to you that the shades in the plains outside of the village drop school books so i it didn't until i read your sentence earlier today and i went back in and they absolutely do drop school books yeah those are kids yes they are those are kids those (laughs) are kids that would not attack you if you did not attack them they are and and you are borderline encouraged to slaughter when you've heard, like, you know, there's like, you know, oh, there's more shades. There's shades everywhere. It's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, there they are. I'm going to, well, I'll kill them. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, that's kind of how it's all set up. It's crazy. And but yes. So did you notice that they were passive, too? Or was that also something you saw after seeing this? Not after, now until I read this, I, I loaded it back up specifically to do that. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Absolutely wild. Me either. I didn't notice yeah. this until it was pointed out to me by my good friend, Rick Firestone, on his yeah. podcast. So... This, uh, I was gung ho about killing these shades when you go out in the plains and near says, ah, there's shades close to the village. I'm like, Uh shades close to the village. We can't (laughs) have that. Grab your pitchforks. Exactly. So you, obviously you don't find out that they're humans, let alone children uh, for a long, long time, but really sucks. Uh, once you know that. Yeah, that that and that revelation, not just spe- this specific one about the kids, which I didn't have until I read the notes for the show, but that yeah. revelation that of what you've been doing and then the, how they extrapolate upon that sometimes in like the most painful ways um, it, 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 during playthroughs B and C is is heartbreaking. Yes, absolutely heartbreaking. Yes, it is. And it's it's heartbreaking, but not surprising that my my video game 
mentality, my gamer mm-hmm. mentality took me right to violence as soon as I saw these things. Yep. Even yep. though, like you said, or, or like uh, was pointed out to me, they don't attack you when they see you. They don't really care. They're kind of curious, actually. Yeah. And then when you start swinging, then then they attack. They fight back, but not until you initiate. Yeah. That reminds me a lot of the uh, – uh, w- this is a revelation it gives to you later on in the game – of the wolves. Or like the like the wolf section that it's it's that same theme of just being like we're just defending ourselves just leave us alone like mm-hmm. oh you monsters and you know like that whole the whole you know the 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 Walking Dead like the humans are the real monsters like, that's a trope I get it but in the way that information is presented to you in this game was something else I think that this is it is a trope. But it's one that uh, video games have started to tap into in like the last 10 years or so, and at least in games that I've played. And I, I think that video games are in a unique situation to pull this off better than other media can because I'm the one choosing to do those terrible deeds. Yep. And then it's revealed to me what I've been doing, and I have to think back on my actions, not yeah. some character uh, in a show doing the same yeah. thing. Exactly. Yeah. So Yeah, it puts you right in the driver's seat of what did I do? <laughs> Regret. <laughs> oh, and this game has so many yes. dear God, what have I done moments. Yep. Um yep. and I didn't talk about this in the non spoiler part, even though the notes were there. I skipped it because this game has a huge kind of commentary or through line of of near and you as the player acting without complete information mm-hmm. and feeling like you're doing the right thing all the way to the end even after you get the information that was missing um, yeah. because you still feel like you're doing the right thing yep. and so it makes it even harder on playthrough e when you come back to this at the beginning you know yep. what's going on, but you still have to go through with all that stuff. Yeah. And in playthrough Eve, and just so I know for, and I'm 99% sure I'm correct, that was the playthrough that's not in the original game, correct? Yes. Playthrough yep. E, yes. The, the, okay. So, so yeah, putting you even in those shoes then to go back to Kidnear and to go back to doing all those things again, like really, I mean, just the most ignorant version of you in the game. It's, it's just something. It's yep. it really <laughs> hammers that home, yeah, in, in in a in a very complete and satisfying way, mm-hmm. but also like gut wrenching in some cases. Yep, uh, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. Yeah, sorry, uh, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, because uh, I did want to talk about that. And these are late game revelations that are recontextualizing the beginning of the game. So at the beginning, um, you are playing as Kidnear still, and I did want to just kind of rapid fire through some of our favorite parts. I'm at the beginning, so I'll let you go first. Um, so yeah, I, I think my my favorite parts of the beginning of the game are just kind of that um, that initial brush with Kaine, fighting Kaine, finding out what Kaine was about, and then all of a sudden having her becoming a bit of a reluctant party member. Um, I, I found those sections to be really effective. Her shunning by the entire Aerie, and the, and literally them never physically representing who the airy people are in the game until much, much later. They're just kind of like, you kind of see them as almost, they're almost like all hermits not coming out of their huts, go away outside or like you feel that like, like you, very rarely in games, aside from just like hostile enemies, like you get environments where you're just like, I am not welcome here. Like I am yeah. traipsing upon somebody else's beliefs or, or, or just their like just an invasion of privacy in a certain way. It's, it's, it, 
that that feeling of being an outsider in that village uh was was good i mean i mean effective yeah did um i wonder if you caught this because i i did some research i've talked to people about this this goes along the lines of kaine and her shunning by the people there and her backstory that you get at the beginning of uh route b i believe kaine the reason they shun her is because uh, as far as i understand is because she's intersex yes um, and i missed if the game explicitly says this or if it's like strongly hinted at or if it's just because i read it on wikipedia it's yeah it's not it, it's I think even calling it hinted at is a bit that's giving the game too much credit. It's very veiled. Yeah. Um, they just they basically uh, the terms I can, and I might be misquoting, but I believe the terms are just different. You know what I mean? Like she's just different than everybody else. So she's not welcome. She's not this. She's not mm. that. I um, wonder if that's a translation, you know, changing of words or terminology from Japanese hmm, to yeah. English. I have no idea. Just a conjecture. Yeah. Um, but anyway, her, I, <laughs> I like what you said about how they treat her and how they treat you, um, because you're, you're just there. You, you just want to ask for help and they're mm-hmm. just like, no, you're, they, I think they say like, you'll be the death of us. And I'm like me, what, have, what am I doing um, right in here? So the going to the area in general, like I said earlier, the visuals, the music, and then the people are so shut in that it's, it's a really memorable part. Um, I had uh, another part here, Emile's Mansion. I said there were a couple of visually striking places in the game. And when you go up to Emile's Mansion and the whole game goes black and white, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. what the hell's going on here? And then it's like a survival horror level almost. Yeah. Yeah. You get the turns black and white. All of a sudden there's tarantulas the size of you running around the outside <laughs> yeah. gates. And yeah, it, that, that, that was. You get the sense that you're in a haunted place um, almost instantly. You get that they the, basically the spooky butler separates you from your friends. Like mm-hmm. it, it <laughs> does kind of turn that turn turn into that for a moment until you kind of realize or kind of become aware of what's actually happening there. Yeah, the um, loading screens start to start during this route describing Project Gestalt, mm-hmm. and I only knew that word because I knew that the original version of the game was called Near Gestalt. Yep, but that meant nothing to me. I mean, other than the the actual meaning of the word gestalt, but mm-hmm. um, when did did you pick up on any of the, you know, the fact that the the shades are humans and that they've been separated from their you know shells? Did you pick up on any of that before it was told to you? Uh, no, not really. Yeah, um, I, I had I had uh, like inklings that there was more going on than I knew, but I, that also that's informed from my playthrough of automata you know yes, what i mean yes. so so i i think that in a vacuum no i really didn't um okay. i knew something was up but i didn't know to what extent and 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 where that was kind of going yeah uh, i think that becomes that revelation and then that subsequent playthrough is just kind of like that oh shit moment like wow you mm-hmm. know and 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 there's and there's so many moments I could talk about, and I won't talk about all of them. I promise you. But um, you know, there's, and I, you know what? And I'm already getting ahead of myself. So let's finish with the stuff before the oh, skip. Um, <laughs> no worries. So yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is um, one of the things I love about Near Automata is how they change up the gameplay from uh, you know section to section, and this game does that a little bit. And one of the big ways it does that is it introduces these uh, text adventure sections. Yeah. And yeah. there are several of them throughout the game. What did you think? 
I didn't like these as much as a lot of other people do. Um, mm-hmm. I am, without making myself sound like too impatient or too like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ignorant, uh, maybe. <laughs> um, I I found myself getting lost in the flowery flowery language of those mm-hmm. and not really appreciating some of the stories. Um, I I I read them all through evenly and 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 got through them the the first time and then i found that if i would misanswer one of the prompts and not be able to progress and like the tree in the forest would be like no oh that this is going wrong and then it spits you out of the tree i that that frustrated me um on a lot of levels um i do like a good text adventure i i was i found it i thought it was interesting uh i didn't realize they were going to go on as long as they would so that i was kind of spamming the text originally because that's what i kind of do you know i'm kind of programmed to do that and and then found myself kind of skipping key key moments so Mm -hmm. not my favorite parts but i do think that it's really interesting it's like it's it's a it's a swing you know what i mean it's a wild swing a wild departure from what you've been doing up to that point yeah and sometimes i wonder Video games are really hard to make, and it's really hard to put everything you want in the game. So I wonder if these were always meant to be text adventures, or if there are things they didn't have time hmm. to make, and then they turned them into text adventures. That's but I liked, yeah. I liked them. I thought the writing was fun. I enjoyed reading them. And the thing that I think really helped is that the music in the background matches what you're reading uh, emotionally. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really cool. Some of them are less text adventure, like... When I say text adventure, I don't mean, you know, like old computer game text adventures. It's just kind of a term you're reading. And then sometimes they'll ask you a question and you have to have paid attention to answer it correctly mm-hmm. uh, in these ones in the forest. Some of them later when you're learning about Kaine's backstory are literally just visual novel. You just read yeah. them yeah. and that's it. But I, I thought the writing was good enough. And then when we got to the stuff with Kaine, um, that was actually interesting because it's about Kaine's backstory and I care about that. So I wanted to learn. Yeah. That was the, that was the one or maybe the two, there's a sequence of them, I guess. But uh, when, when t- telling the story about her and her grandmother and the painting yeah. of the painting and, and everything else, and then you can go back to Kaine's hut and see that painting. Like there's, there's, there's stuff there that really fleshes out her character, um, gives context to the things that, um, you've already seen gives specific constant context, excuse me, to the shade that mm-hmm. attacked her grandmother and kind yeah. of absorbed her grandmother and why like, she's so fucking mad at it. All exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why, why she's pissed that you're going to kill it because she wants to kill it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that though, those were, were very effective. Again, I think for me, the, just the difference was, and again, I, I'm not trying to paint myself as some dumb idiot who can't sit down and enjoy it. It just, it was a bit too much of a screeching halt for me, but I appreciated what they were trying to pull off. Mm-hmm. Right on. So I think that, do you have any other like real memorable moments from the, the, the young near portion of the game? So the only other thing, and I messaged you about it was the, uh, the old lady in the lighthouse quest. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so there's this whole side story there and I'm, I know you didn't do it where, where you're taking letters from her to like her long lost love, basically back and forth to the postman. Mm-hmm. And you, you uncover that the entire town wants that lady to run the lighthouse. Her, her love died in a boating accident like 30 years ago, but the town has been writing these letters and sending them to her mm-hmm. in, and like, like fake, like basically are keeping her hope alive so that she stays alive. Cause <laughs> so she's, 
she's running this lighthouse to, to kind of to kind of like you know bring her lost love home <laughs> but he's never coming home and then at the end when she's dying she tells you i kind of always knew they were doing this but i didn't want to disappoint them so i played along so the reason she was this old crotchety woman was because she didn't want to disappoint the villagers because she thought it was so nice that they were pretending that her love was alive it was like this like if i didn't just keep doing like back to the post office back to her back to the get her mail get her mail i never mm-hmm. would have experienced this and there's this whole tragic gifts of the magi type situation between <laughs> them where she's like, we can't stop writing these letters and she's like well i can't stop acting like this old crone or else they'll stop writing me letter oh it was it was just one of those moments i was like holy shit this game has layers yeah um but that's uh, impressive i didn't even know i didn't know that the the quest continued like i never i guess i never went back and talked to her so i didn't even know that was an issue it's it's one of those things that like you talk to devila in the tavern she's like i hear there's an old lady at the in the seafront who's not getting her mail and grimoire vice is like not her again you know and all (laughs) that and uh but yeah yeah it was it was it it was one of those things i was like i i couldn't believe it was there and like and it, it was a really cool moment really cool moment yeah that is one nice thing i'll say about the side quests is that they may be tedious like mechanically but not all of them, but some of them have stories that I think are worth experiencing. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if even if the things that you're doing during those are not interesting in the slightest. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the end of the young near section, we get all the sealed verses. We think that uh, everything's good, but shades attack the villages or the shades attack the village and invade the library, which is God, if I... I've been there, I've been up those stairs in the library too many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've and I never <laughs> run down them. I do a double jump flip over the of railing course. to get back down to the front. Of <laughs> exactly. course, yeah. <laughs> um, so you go in the library. Uh, you have a fight in there. Near gets hurt, like badly hurt, and um, the Shadow Lord shows up. Did you clock who the Shadow Lord was or who the Shadow Lord looked at looked like at this time? Yeah, I I kind of felt. That that was the first moment that I thought back to the near and Yona from the grocery store. Yeah, and I was thinking like, oh, okay, like I'm like this is, I'm I'm part of some other process here. Like I'm, I I didn't I didn't go I didn't like go full on be like I'm the Shadow Lord. It was it was more of like there is something else at work. There was this uh, one thousand four hundred some odd years past, and I still look the same. It clearly can't still be me. And then now I see this kind of ghost, like almost like like badass, cool version of me. Like I don't know. It it was it, it, it there was something there. I didn't put all the pieces together, but there were a lot of pieces I didn't know existed yet. But yeah, yeah, there was. Um, so what happened with me was I, I when you start this section. And you realize that they they look the same or they are the same or whatever, but something's not right. But then I forgot because then you're playing the game and you're going through the yeah, story. Yeah. And then I saw this and I kind of like you, I was like, oh, right. There was that thing like over a thousand years ago. Yeah. So I yeah. wrote in my notes that this was an evil near that you're yeah. fighting. So he kidnaps Yona. Uh, you, you lose the fight. I thought this was going to be the end of the game when I was first playing. So- yeah not even close to the end of the game. (laughs) Um, But uh, you, you lose, he escapes. Um, There's a shade loose in the basement. You locked it down there for some reason. You can't kill it. I'm not sure why, but the solution they come to is uh, Emil has the power to petrify things by looking at them. 
Uh, so he always wears a, a blindfold, basically. And then the idea is to petrify Kaine when she's standing in front of the door so that she turns into a Kaine Han Solo in carbonite and mm-hmm. seals the shade down in the basement. And so that's what you do. And then fades to black. And then five years later, Nier is a fully grown anime protagonist. Yes. Um, he he really filled out. And yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> he's just been back in the village doing tasks, being mad about what happened, killing shades. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't like break bad, but he's definitely not the sweet, uh, innocent, you know, may, maybe innocence, the wrong word, naive, uh, kid that he used to be. Yeah. He's kind of involved into like a hunter, right? He's basically yeah. like the, the fixer, the hunter, the, 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 the hitman for hire of shades as it was, as it were. And then, uh, he, he, he has kind of made his name for himself over that previous five years of just, he hasn't really made much progress searching for Yona. Grimoire Vice still hanging around with him, but, uh, but yeah, he's just kind of essentially killing his, sh- killing every shade he can to try to get to the Shadow Lord, mm-hmm. um, and not making a whole heck of a lot of progress in, uh, in doing so. Right. Exactly. So, um, Emil comes, he says that he thinks he knows how to cure petrification, uh, which Kaine is still there five years later. So you go to this, like this, uh, science lab basically under Emil's mansion and you learn Emil's backstory, which I think is tragic. And I think we can just kind of run through the whole backstory, even the stuff we learn at the end here. So Mm. I'm not totally positive what their role is in project Gestalt, but I am sure of their roles as like weapons, living weapons, basically. Um, are you are you with me there? Or do you know? Yep, one hundred percent. Yep. Okay. So Emil's sister is subject number seven, um, at test subject. She is the ultimate weapon, which basically made into a living nuclear bomb. Just think of it that way. Yep. And Emil is her brother, and Emil has this power of petrification. And at some point, his sister breaks loose, basically down there and he has to go down and petrify his own sister. And this is told in another text visual novel section later in the game. And there's this scene where they talk about this. Uh, you, you knew, sorry, you learned that this happened. There's a scene where Emil has his birthday mm-hmm. late in the game. And it, that was one of the most um, emotionally affecting things that happened in the game because yep. Emil has been through at this point in the story, the things that you've seen, he's been through so much. Uh, he's about to lose his body in the story that we're going yep. chronologically. But then we go back and he's, he's the sweet little kid just having his birthday. And he's he has the same shitty food he eats every day. But yep. it's his birthday. It's special because the nurse he likes gives it to him. He's very just so sweet. And then we then go to the part where he has to basically kill his own sister. So just yeah. the worst for Emil. Yeah. He kind of has basically been told or has found out that his sister is going to go not maybe not rogue it's hard it's hard to describe unless you see it and even then it's kind of hard to parse out but but he's the only creature the only thing that can stop her and so meal's kind of tasked with this like unsolvable problem that he can only solve by killing his sister and in doing so affects everything that happens to him afterwards from that point on it's kind of the like how much can a meal go through 
like show and and he becomes this kind of this uh he's both the problem and the solution for everything and mm-hmm. um and all of his actions seem to have dire personal consequences but yet he still commits these acts and kill still does these things for the greater good of the ones that he loves so, you know he doesn't want his sister be in pain and he doesn't want his sister to suffer he doesn't want kind in pain he doesn't want near in pain he doesn't want them to die when fighting an, an, an unbeatable creature he is he's kind of that like always sacrificing himself for the greater good um while continuing to continuing to soldier on in in what becomes a persistently disintegrating form you know, he goes from boy to floating skeleton, like monster with a mask that mm-hmm. is still this sweet little boy, but but not physically represented that way at all anymore. Yeah, he's uh, so like yada yada yada. You unpetrify Kaine, and the villagers are freaked out by a meal. They will not let him in the village. Yeah, and they won't let Kaine in the village either because they know what who what she is. So. Yeah, Emil loses his body. He becomes this this terrible just skeleton with, you know, like we said, the mask that Yoko Taro wears. It's really hard to describe that yeah. uh, mask <laughs> with just words. Um, Google Yoko Taro and you'll, you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, later in the game, we go through definitely one, no, two, at least two situations where Emil's power is the only thing that can save you. And then it's just horrible guilt for Emil at what he's done. And through all of this, he's a little kid dealing with this. Yep. But it also presents him with some very good conversations with Kaine when Kaine is doubting herself or when Mm Nier is doubting himself. So the next thing I wanted to talk about is you're in the shrine and Kaine dies for the first of many times she yes. gets impaled by something too often, I think. Yeah, no, it becomes <laughs> it, it becomes laughable at some point how often like Kaine always has some sharp implement piercing her abdomen yeah. and she falls to the ground. And and each time I was semi tricked into thinking this is it. That she's <laughs> yeah. No way. And the next thing you know, Emile's cradling her head and she's coming too. it's like, oh, like, yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah. So uh, in this particular one, um, this one stands out to me because uh, Kaine has been possessed by a shade. We learned some point through her story that she's half human, half shade, which really means she's being possessed by a shade. Not that, you know, her mother was a shade and her father was a uh, whatever, a replicant, (laughs) but (laughs) human shade, human shade. Um, But her shade half takes over in this part. You have to fight her you fight her. And then at the end, she basically says like, I'm pushing you all away from me now because I'm too dangerous to you. And Emil like lays into her and says like, you helped me accept myself. I'm going to help you accept yourself. Like I'm, I'm okay to accept who I am because of you. You are the reason I'm okay with this. So you're not leaving us. And it's a really impassioned and affecting speech. Um, I'm not doing it the way he does, but I'm getting chills thinking about the way yeah. he does. And and it really shows how those characters feed off of each other. Yeah. Because Kaine is this like oversexualized, very beautiful, strong woman, right? And Emil is this like 
constantly becoming aesthetically less pleasing failing physical form but mm-hmm. has the emotional strength that Kanye lacks so like they they play off each other in such a way that you're not quite sure that one is really whole without the other and vice versa and no in no romantic sense at all obviously it's i mean he's a he's a child and and she is someone who really doesn't seem to want to be involved with anybody ever um except for maybe there's some allusions to that at the end but whatever um and like like they they kind of become two halves of a whole person in a lot of ways and and they both possess qualities that the others covet for mm-hmm. a number of reasons and and that that continues to be effective um throughout the entirety of, of their relationship from that point on yeah um it's and when they speak and when something happens to one and the other reacts like it just kind of it hits you in the gut you know it's just like these they're they're intrinsically connected forever uh, for from all the things they've both been through, both with each other and removed from each other, it's it's it, it, they've drawn they've drawn a beautiful pair there in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And so Emil is in the support role in this part, and then immediately after that, you go to the airy, or I don't know, a couple of quests <laughs> oh boy, later, go. you go to yep. the airy, and Emil's uh, yada yada yada. You fight a big shade. Um, you're it's kind of cool actually. You're tricked by. The villagers, they're trying to kill you by tricking you to come there. They're taking on your form because, as we learn, they are shades. Yep. The reason they think you're going to kill them all is because you are going to kill them all. They know that they're not safe around you. So they trick you. They try to kill you. It doesn't work. Um, Emil's magic wakes up, and he basically nukes this entire place, kills everything. Yes. And he he can't he can't deal with this. Like he is distraught after this. Yeah. He basically, he uses his power to save his friends, but in turn just eliminates an entire village off the map. And this scene afterwards, when I, I think I messaged you, they said like Emil just turned into a nuke. Like he just, yeah. he, he became a, he became a megaton bomb that was dropped on this village. And, and that, and you cannot go back there anymore. Like there is nothing to that. It is, it is, decimated destroyed to rubble and Mm -hmm. now he this kid who has already been through all of the things that you so eloquently described a few minutes ago and now has to deal with the weight of essentially being a mass murderer yeah with altruistic intentions however he he has the weight now that that near from through his ignorance has never had to feel uh, he's always been fighting for justice, right? He's killing all these shades and doing all these things. But Emil has just been trying to be the best friend, brother, companion. Um, and it just, it just hits it. It, that was a moment for me that when Emil is dealing with that, he's kind of shaking, head hung. They're trying mm-hmm. to kind of talk him, coax him back into consciousness. And, and it just that, that you just feel so much for this. What is essentially an, an aesthetically ridiculous character, right? He's this floating yeah. giant's yeah. head with this big, gru- almost gruesome smile on his face and these skeletal arms and he just kind of floats around and it's like, hey, there's nothing whimsical about that moment. And, and, and to read emotion from a character that can literally emote none is, that's a, that's a pretty big accomplishment for me. Yeah. Yeah. Big, again, big shout out to the voice acting. Yeah. Sure. Me. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. We are going to go to Shadow Lord's castle and just talk about this. Uh, we're going to revisit this several times uh, throughout the game. But you get to Shadow Lord's castle. Um, Devil and Popla are there, and they're trying to keep you out. And it's initially a mystery why 
they're trying to keep you out. And for a while, they do the whole thing where they're like, we, we can't tell you why, but you can't come in. Stuff like that. Um, yeah. You have to fight them to get past them. Now, I recognize Devil and Popola from near Automata, where I guess I won't spoil what happens with them, but they're there and their story is, um, their resolution to their story is uh, affecting, I think, in yep. that game. But it would be so much more affecting knowing yeah. their story from this game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the reason why they're in the position that they're in in Automata is because of this uh, part right here. So mm-hmm. Devil and Popola are trying to keep you out uh, because they have a mission, basically. And they kind of tell you what we've talked about before. All the humans died. And what you are, you're a replicant in an android of sorts. And all the shades are the remnants of the humans. Uh, they're called gestalts from this project gestalt to keep humanity alive, even though it's being decimated by the black scrawl. Um, and they're out in the world in this shade form, hopefully one day uh, going to return to their shell basically and become whole again is how I understood it. Yep. So, I kind of wondered at this point, like, oh, is this why the shades are attacking me? Because I'm a shell and they can like, you know, do they have this drive to become whole again? Right. Yeah. But as we play longer, I realize no, they're attacking me because I'm attacking them, basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, you are you are the you you have become the main threat to humanity at that yes. point. Yes. And uh Devla and Popola are trying to preserve humanity by allowing this project to be seen through to the end. This is something that I don't totally understand because later, I think it's in Route C, something like that. They talk about how they want to kill Shadow Lord, or maybe they're talking about trying to keep him in check. I'm not yeah. totally sure. Is that what it is? I I don't know. I was I and I this I wasn't coming here hoping for you to clarify. I actually somewhat feel relieved that I couldn't suss it out on my own. Yeah. Um, no, it's <laughs> it's uh, they. It seems to be kind of pulling at two sides, right? They're there to preserve. They don't want you to, to, to kill the Shadow Lord. And then as you progress further, they seem to be kind of becoming more, I don't say they're not allowing you. They certainly provide resistance, but they, they do have a plan. It seems in place to either usurp the Shadow Lord or to, or to, to somehow kill him and, and, and bring this project to a close in some way. Um, what that would accomplish, I do not know. Yeah, I, I, I'm un, unaware of that. So their their motivations there are a little unclear to me. Like they're trying to keep you alive, and we do get context on this in Route B and C, where they you see them talking to each other and kind of planning. Like we need to kill this thing because it's a threat to Nier and Yona, and we need them alive because they're the shells for the Shadow Lord and. Yona. Yeah. So we need them to get there, but I think maybe they're trying to stop you now because you're just on this war path. Yeah. They they don't they might believe that you're actually threatening the project now because you're going to you you might you may have become strong enough to actually follow through on your actions and kill the Shadow Lord and to end this thing and to not become that shell that is necessary for that the passing on of, right. of those. Yeah. Now, knowing this, now knowing now that we that the shades are the the remnants of humanity and that we've been killing them throughout the game. One of my kind of criticisms of this story is that our characters never really have to reckon with this because yeah. you don't continue the game, you repeat the game. So you find this out 
And then like a half hour later, you fight Shadow Lord and the game's over. You see the credits and then you restart. So you know this in your head. So it's great. It recontextualizes it for you. But it would have been interesting to see them deal with this uh, as characters the way that it happens in uh, the sequel. Yeah. Won't say any more than that. Right. Yeah. No, they they really don't. Like near and vice don't really ever have to not that they would ever atone but necessarily deal with the emotional ramifications of what they've been doing like that that five i mean because you you get the impression and you didn't play through the five-year skip but you get the impression that during the time they were just straight up running through shades i mean just he was like shade killer number one you know just i mean just mowing down uh, uh these remnants of humanity which we now know are remnants of humanity uh, but Nier never really has to deal with that. Neither does Vice. Um, they have to deal with their own struggles along the way. Um, and, and uh, sacrifices get made up going up to the Shadow Lord and, and Grimoire Vice is, is kind of one of those pieces he gets kind of taken from you and, and, and supposedly fades from existence or merges with Grimoire Noir and all those things. But, um, but yeah, it, it, they never are forced to kind of reconcile their actions. Mm-hmm. So. I guess it's possible that Nier doesn't reckon with this because he's just, you know, tunnel vision. He doesn't, this does not affect his goal to get to Yona. So I'm just not going to deal with this because Yona's yeah. behind that door. And, and I think, and I think that's a big part of it that you just hit on. I think that, that at this point, five years of this, that if you straight out told him, Hey, everything you're killing is a living soul, is a living being, is a, has a, has a potential future. He he'll be like, oh cool, they still took Yona, yeah, and I don't care anymore. Like I'll I will I will slaughter whatever I need to do to make sure she's safe. And I think he had kind of, that that's become that soul motivation, like you said, the tunnel vision that that it doesn't. And I can't speak say for certain because you don't really see, but I'm not sure if at that point that would have mattered to him as much as saving his sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. You fight Devil and Popola. I have more to say on this, but I'll get in it in Route B as we yeah. get some more revelations. You fight Devil and Popola. Devil like challenges you, even though like I think it's pretty clear they're not going to kill you. But I think it's like a last ditch thing. Um, Devil challenges you. You kill Devil. Uh, Popola freaks out. She gets killed too. But before she does, yeah. she starts to call some insane spell. I don't know what's going on. It's just it's bad news. And yeah. Emil again for his friends sacrifices himself uh, to get Kaine and Nier to safety and um, this is a scene that you, every time I saw it I I was affected by it and they mm-hmm. keep giving you new stuff in this scene where, where uh, Emil is sacrificing himself and it continues to be affecting even though you're seeing it for the third time later yeah and uh, once again with Emil he now he's he's had the the revelation at the area that he has this power and this is what he's capable of but in that moment he's making that choice having that knowledge knowing what's going to happen but he firmly believes that he's doing it now for the right reasons because he's he's taking out 
one aggressive act. When when he's doing this, he's not leveling a town full of innocent people. He's just he's just taking away this one aggressor. And knowing how painful it's going to be, knowing what's going to stir up in him, knowing what how much energy he's going to have to expend to do this and potentially die in the process, still willingly makes that choice. You know, it, it says a lot about that character. It says a lot about uh, and a lot about the fact that I'm even thinking about these things, the steps they've gone to make sure that I know all of this about that character mm-hmm. and can properly. Uh, appreciate that when when getting to that moment yeah so uh, i had written down here this is why everyone freaked out when they saw emil in near automata everyone who yeah. had played this game i get it um yeah because i had played automata and seen emil and been like i don't like the song that's playing when he's here he seems yeah. kind of goofy yeah. i don't really know what the big deal is now i get it so yeah 100 <laughs> um I don't know if they outright tell you, but you should figure out by now that Yona um, that uh, is there is housing the soul of the prologue Yona or maybe has already been reunited. I didn't, I wasn't totally sure um, Mm. or they're prepping her to be reunited. And then our near is the shell for the shadow Lord, who is the prologue near. And that's the end of uh, route a. And then you start over again. Um, Mm -hmm. You start over with um, going to, Unpetrify Kaine, basically. Yes, yeah. You, you basically start fighting that monster that's been trapped under the library for the last five years. It's like right. kind of the, the re-launching point. Yeah. So we get a little text adventure telling Kaine's backstory, how she was raised by her grandma. There was a, a scene when she's fighting that shade in the area where the shade impersonates her grandma. And yeah. Kaine basically says, shut the fuck up. My grandma doesn't talk like that. I'm going to rip out your eyeballs and piss in the sockets. Yep. And yep. Um, so we get backstory here. And then we also learn about the shade that is inhabiting her. So Kaine was yes. mortally injured. The shade basically, uh, you know, healed her but is now control i don't controlling her body but just like you get she the basically feeling be- yeah became his host right like she's yeah. like he can't survive without her kind of and 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 he feeds seems to feed off her pain and anguish and anger yeah. so she's a very appropriate host for him and and in the process she gets to continue living right and the the shade his name is uh tiran i'm gonna call him um tells kaine that if she stops killing things then he's gonna take over and so that's kind of part of Kaine's motivation for being on the warpath. Uh, mm-hmm. You hear his voice through root B. I don't like the voice that much, uh, but what are you going to do? Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of that, like that real, like slimy, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's, it, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it gets the, it gets the point across. Um, I, I didn't think that it was, their dialogue wasn't necessarily as affecting as some of the other dialogue that gets added. And a lot of the other dialogue that gets added is just in the, in the form of text, but right. um, but yeah, it, it was um, it was interesting to know though why Kaine Kaine was so angry all the time. Um, mm-hmm. it definitely and also it really gives flavor. Like like her grandmother was a f- like foul mouthed woman, so right. it explains a lot of Kaine's kind of uh, 
you know, use of that language. It's something she comes by honestly, because I think especially these days and, and this game did come out uh, in 2021, but it, it was a remake of an older game. But th- during that Xbox 360 PS3 era, like using vulgarity in games still felt like a like a like just kind of like, a, oh, I can't believe they actually said that they put that in a video game, you know, like yeah. thing. <laughs> and uh, so so you weren't sure if they were just pushing the envelope or pushing the envelope's sake. But to give that a story, a contextual meaning and purpose, um, it made a lot of sense and it, and it made things uh, fit a little bit better. Yeah. And the I felt like the benefit of this, although I think it's just a coincidence now, is that as you're going through Route B, you can understand the the shades a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yes. so Route B's purpose, now that you know that they're the last remnants of humanity, is to humanize them as you go through all the scenarios that you went through, um, killing the big knight in the Lost Shrine, just trying to protect his friends. And you see them talking about it. Um, the big robot you fight in the junk heap is just trying to protect a shade whose mother was killed by, you know, the, I think the brothers there or soldiers or something like that and a bunch of stuff like this. So that's like the whole purpose of root B. One thing that I got hung up on in root B is that Kaine could understand shades the whole time because she's part shade. She never says anything. She's just... She says, sometimes she says, I don't think this is what it seems. Or she says, hey, something's not right here, but never really elaborates. And Nier always says, no, we're doing this. But in my opinion, Kaine is not the type of personality to just be shut down by someone else if she has something to say. So this was one other thing here. Again, our, our characters never deal with this themselves because Kaine never says anything. Yeah. And I part of me, so I struggle with that a little bit too. And I think the way that I've justified it in my head is that Kaine is being told by the shade that she needs to keep killing in order to survive. She taking part in these kind of like these, these battles with near um, allows her to do that, which ensures her survival and those mm-hmm. types of things. And so I think it might be a self-preservation thing, which is yeah. maybe why she's so self-loathing, especially in those, those kind of tender moments with a meal, like where she really kind of obviously hates herself in a lot of ways. And, and, and there's reasons for that. Um, so that's how I justified it in my head, but it does seem weird. Like, like the, cause the kind at her heart, the one that you learn to know and, and, and grow to, and, to like, like you would think that she would be like, no, stop. You know, like this is not a monster riding a monstrous robot. This is a kid that's lost his mother. And now you're not only killing the kid's protector, but you're killing the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one that killed me. I got a soft spot for the Iron Giant anyway. So like that yeah. one, that one, that was the one out of all of those that really just gutted me because like, it's just like the kid's mom was killed and it befriends this big doofus robot and they just pale around in the junk heap. I'm just like, oh my God, that killed me. Absolutely killed me. Yeah. And I remember in Route A, the first time I did that, the joy that I killed that shade with after I yeah. beat the robot because yep. it, it's just it's just it I mean it tries to fight back but it can't and you've you've had it you know displayed but you can't hurt the shade you have to kill yeah. the robot first so finally you kill the robot and you just destroy that shade well yeah it was just a sweet little kid that was found a protector in the factory and yeah. you you as you do everywhere you go in this game you came in you fucked it all up 
Yeah, they. Uh, it, was, it was one of those moments when they when you finally knock that robot out on the shades there. It's like, well, finally I can get you now, you bastard. You know yes. what I mean? You've been <laughs> up there, I haven't been able to touch you, and and now I can just kind of put you know for finishing touches on, and then yeah, and yeah, it, it's again another juxtaposition they use a, a flipping of without actually changing what you do, just flipping that perception based on knowledge they've introduced to you. It's just it's so elegantly done, and it just isn't. Normally when games try to do that, and I'm struggling to think of an example, I've been trying to think for a while, and I can't come up with one, of course. I'll, I'll think of it the minute we stop recording. But they're so ham-fisted or over the, like beating you over the head with metaphor and just not allowing you to like embrace the nuance of the moment. And this is just the opposite of that. Like it, mm-hmm. it, and it makes, it doesn't, it doesn't even let you embrace it. It makes you wallow in it. And, and it just, it's just effective. It's just really, really well done. Yeah, there are, there are a couple other games that I think do this pretty well, but I feel like saying them now is going to spoil the whole point of those games. So maybe I'll tell you <laughs> yeah. when we're done or something like yeah. that. So um, the the one character that does say something is when you go to the airy and the they are taking a outwardly human form, right? They're tricking you. They want to try to kill you once once and for all. Um, Emil says that he thinks that they're humans. While you're fighting, he says something like, wait, I think they're all humans. And Vice is like, nope, they're shades. We're killing all of them. So yep, that started to make me doubt Vice a little bit uh, about yep. what his motivations are. And I never got yep. a clear answer for that, but Mm-mm. just a little seed of doubt, right? Yeah, a little seed of doubt there. And I think it also like it puts more light on the fact that Vice, while, while thinking he knows everything in, in a lot of cases, his... His intellectual capacity is more of his shield for his ignorance in a lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that that kind of reveals that he's always been that voice, right? Of reason for you, that, that driving hand, the guiding hand. And, and to then learn that he really doesn't have a grasp of what's going on, despite him so confidently stating over and over again that he does, mm-hmm. um, is an interesting flip of roles there. Yeah. So on to the end again, you fight the Shadow Lord, same as you did before. Sure um, did. Except, yep. <laughs> this time the Shadow Lord apologizes to Yona for not protecting her. Um, you see the original version of them from the prologue for a little bit. And then, yeah, the prologue, Nier and Yona are reunited. And then it's, it goes back again. You start over again. And the purpose of Route C, I think, is to show you uh, Devla and Popola's behind-the-scenes maneuvering yeah. to make sure that you get to that point at the end alive. Now, And then I think they fight you at the end because they realize how dangerous you've become. Yeah. But they have done all kinds of things to make sure you find the sealed verses, to find those key fragments or whatever. Um, yeah. There's a quote from them where they say, uh, if he can't find it, the past five years will be for nothing. Um they, when you get to the castle, they say they can't let you kill the Shadow Lord or the plan will collapse. So they've been maneuvering here. And yeah. that was my big takeaway from uh, Route C, other than the choice at the end. Yeah. So I found Route C to be much less effective for me than Route B. Not mm-hmm. that I didn't care about what Devil and Popol were doing, but I feel like the revelations were a little less um, <laughs> yeah. impactful. You know, I felt like I already kind of knew what was going on. And but at that point, I was pot committed. Like, I'm I'm seeing this thing through to find out every ounce of of the why behind what happened. And yeah. um, and I still think like we kind of talked about this with Rude, um, 
uh, like their motivations and their kind of master plan is not apparent and they never really tell you and you kind of kill them before you really know what you're stopping or preventing from happening. Um, and that is a little, I don't want to say it's not frustrating because I think they pulled off some pretty amazing stuff to get you there to begin with, but mm-hmm. it, it's not as clear as say the intent of root B. I wonder if their intent is just to keep you from killing the Shadow Lord and then also keep the Shadow Lord from getting too powerful or acting out in a way that would damage the plan. Because I don't know if the Shadow Lord is like in on the plan of Project Gestalt. I just think the Shadow Lord also has that drive of Yona to protect Yona. Yeah, and absolutely. To to the Shadow Lord, protecting Yona means taking our Yona, basically. Yeah. 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 And and I think that like when he apologizes to Yona and 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 you kind of see this as you move forward that like he might even come to a realization that by allowing you to win you are now going to protect Yona. Like it's not it's not necessarily a failure on his part. Um he might him and his in his form may not get to live on but Yona will still have a protector. It's just for how long I think would be kind of the the question there. So mm-hmm. um and then, of course, then then there's the ending of of well, I mean, it's not ending C. There's ending C and D there that we get to, and yeah, um, and uh, the the good news is uh, for the end of this one, for with how this can go both ways, um, is we get to see a little taste of a meal not being actually dead. Yeah, you know, um, and like it, yeah. <laughs> Is which is which is which is like a huge win at that point. <laughs> like yes, you know, he could be ping pongs his 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 head through the desert and a yeah. couple other things. Yeah. That happened at the end of ending B. Um, Emil's head oh, falls yeah, down yeah, from yeah. the sky. Um, and he says he needs to do something. Um, and then, so he just rolls away, <laughs> which <laughs> was kind of funny, kind of cute. Cause it's Emil, um, kind of sad. Like you said, his physical condition has deteriorated from human boy to skeleton to head. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we wonder, you know, what he's actually going to be able to do, but yeah. we'll find out. At the end of this one, we get the short story about his birthday, crying emoji in the notes there. Um, yeah. And then Emil wakes up as the head again. So I know we know that there's more to Emil's story that we're going to see. Yeah. But the big yeah. thing is the choice at the end. So you mm-hmm. fight the Shadow Lord, um, and then Tiran takes over Kaine's body. And you have to fight that most difficult fight in the game for me. Yep. And then you have a choice. Uh, you can kill Kaine and set her free from all of this. Um, let me see. Yes. So you you kill Kaine and set her free, and then you and Yona can be reunited. Or you can spare Kaine, but in order to do that, you're going to have to give up your own existence. So we'll we'll stay with ending C, which is killing Kaine and setting her free. Um, did you do this one first, or did you choose to spare her first? I only did this one first because I knew that ending D was going to be like the end of true the game. Um, like even though there's more to it, we'll talk about E in a minute, but, um, that they, I did see because C felt like the wrong thing to do. I knew where my save point was. And even though I was setting Kanye free, like it was kind of like, yes, you can do the thing, kill Kanye. It is sort of selfless. She's going to be 
free of this error, but then you get to be with your sister. Like, hey, there you go. And then the the clearly more selfless choice of sacrificing yourself for that. That felt like the more impactful one. So I kind of I did see first just to see it and then okay. and then follow up into D. I, I was going to ask, like, the the better question, I think, would have been to ask you had you not been following a guide like both of us were, <laughs> which would you have done? So it sounds like you would have done D. I think so. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, and that again, not to near Atama does a different show, but the, the very similar things in, in that regard right. as well. So ending C, you kill Kaine, uh, you set her free. This is because Kaine has expressed her desire to die and be done with this for like, especially at the end when you're fighting shadow Lord and all of that stuff that she wants nothing more than to die. So this yep. is kind of granting her wish, but you have to kill Kaine, which you don't want to kill Kaine. She's, she's your buddy. Yep. Um, so you pick up a uh, lunar tear, you're reunited with Yona and happy ending, right? Um, ending D you spare Kaine, but you have to give up your own existence, which means in a game term, you delete your save files. Mm-hmm. You get this, screen you know this this play out of everything being deleted your menus and everything um i think you even have to type your name in Mm -hmm. for who you're going to delete which is why i said in the non-spoiler part to use your own name because it's just a little bit more fun than you know butt lord or whatever you wrote in there yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um yeah, and, it, uh, it, it might take a little of the <laughs> the gravity away if you're like now type in your name for delete and you're just typing in ass face. You yes, know what I mean? Exactly. Like, oh, okay, the, great, the Pokemon yeah. uh, root for naming <laughs> your characters. Um, so it deletes your save files, and then we have a a very bittersweet ending here where Kaine and Yona talk. Uh, Yona thanks Kaine for saving her, but Kaine doesn't remember doing it, and she like she's pained by something but she doesn't know why which is a horrible state to be in she gets a little memory of near and she sees her lunar tear flower and she thinks you know this is very special to me now i don't know why um we're just going to live with this pain for a while the the something is missing but i can't i don't know what it is yeah um this seemed to me now i'm not trying to get too in the weeds but this seems very much to me to be intentional or not um, like almost the way that I, that I view, um, Alzheimer's and dementia mm. in a lot of ways, in the sense that there is, there is this person, this being this, this, this soul who has a very large part of, of who they are and what they were. Yet there's this, there, there are these gaps, these things missing. And just that, that confusion and and search for those things that are missing and not being able to come up with it and the frustration that must provide like that was kind of like a like just a beautiful disaster and and not really knowing how they were going to make their way forward and wondering like what is next for them was that really the selfless thing to do right. as i thought it would be you know i'm playing a video game yeah I'm, i'll sacrifice my character to save the world you know like, that's what sure. you're doing and then much like everything else in this game, like, was that the right choice? Did I just make things markedly worse for everyone? Right. Uh, thinking I was doing the right thing. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's what Nier's been doing this whole game is thinking yeah. that he's doing the right thing. Um, but, you know, killing all the humans and then at the end, maybe either killing Kaine or at the very least, leaving her with an existence where she's going to be troubled by right. this, you know, missing piece of her that she'll never know what it is. Yeah. So that's obviously not great. And the 
commonality here, which got me thinking about that tedium again, is that this is the product of all of the tedium that you you went through. Um, going through the game literally three times, doing side quests, grinding, well, not grinding up for weapons yet, that's later, but yeah. or by my playthrough, when I did ending D, I had all the weapons because I was I needed to start E, you know what I mean? Yep. So this was the culmination of all of that tedium, all of these fetch quests, the shuttle runs, the collecting is either killing Kaine, which sucks, or leaving her with this kind of hollowed out existence, which also sucks. And in doing so, watching everything that you've grinded for, every weapon you've collected, every word that you've collected for your magic, every everything, mm-hmm. gets systematically deleted from you. Like all those <laughs> yes. things you did, you watch it go away for in your mind forever. And if you were playing the first version of the game, literally forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, that wasn't coming back. And that is that's a lot you know and and it makes you question the was it worth it It, is is the message of this game was it really worth it and i think that's that that's a conversation to be had i think and and it's pro it's different for most people different i mean your your experiences may vary i find it kind of remarkable that you and i had such similar experiences with a game that can evoke so many emotions and Mm -hmm. it's clear a lot of people did right because there's there are near enthusiasts there are people that when yeah. automata uh, was now people were like blown away that this they were going to make another one one of these it's like um to describe to, to steal a phrase from my podcast partner leah Haydu, she said that near was one of those things that like it was kind of like swept away and and didn't get a lot of fanfare she she literally felt like it was something that was made for her you know mm-hmm. what i mean it was like this is the thing that was made for me and and that that's a that's a that it's amazing that that choice these choices leave that type of impression um it shows shows you how well that story was constructed and the drip feed of information how it was staggered in such a way that kept you on that trail to then lead to this again a choice with no real positive ending right yeah and so you're left at the end questioning was it worth it because even if you save yona you had to kill your you know one of your companions to get there so you you don't feel great about that and so this kind of like, and this, this is reinforced in ending E, but the fact that you did all of these things with the sole purpose of saving Yona and in one of them, well, I mean, both of them, Yona's saved, but there is no happy ending here. And that no. was the purpose yeah. of all of this repetition was that constant thought in your head that I'm doing all of this for the happy ending because there has to be a happy ending. There always right. is. Yeah, there always is. Yeah. Not here. No. And this is a this is a Yoko Taro staple, I feel like. And that's why mm. I feel like this is why not only this is why the the game ends this way, but you had to do so much bullshit to get to it because yeah. that drives it home. And that's why I revisited, wanted to revisit the tedium and repetition conversation here because this is where that point's hammered home. And yeah, that nihilism aspect you brought before that like everything is meaningless, everything, everything you've done really has no meaning and has no consequence other than the consequences to like the, the things directly around you, the the lives directly around you and, and how this, there was no getting out of this without repercussions for somebody and, and to, to kind of live with that and to have your existence quite literally deleted in front of your eyes is, yes. It's effective and, and, and it was done very well and left me kind of, you know, slack jawed a bit. And then not, and I'm not trying to progress along necessarily, but then knowing that there was this root E 
that that was added later on. And my question for you as we kind of get into it and yeah, because there's not a there's not a million things to talk about, um, but would be like, is is Root E a cop out from the original theme? Because Root E, as we'll get into it, does kind of seem to undo some of that. So, Ooh. uh, no, I don't think it's a cop out. And okay. I'm happy to talk about it when we get there for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. because this is a very clear thing that I was very satisfied with how ending E ended because you got what you want, but it wasn't what you wanted, uh, in right. a way. So, yeah. okay. So, yeah, in Root E, uh, after if you've collected all the weapons, which God help you if you did both of these and didn't collect all the weapons. So you got to play right. the whole game again. Root E starts, you um, you know what you know, but you start from the beginning as Kidnear. And so this is where, you know, you're going out in the field the, with the, the child, the children, yeah. killing them, knowing what that, knowing what's going on out there. You play the first maybe four or five hours of the game up yeah. until you fight uh, the big shade with Kaine. Um, and then Kaine wakes up. Uh, that was a dream for her. She was reliving that. And she's been remembering slowly, I think, that there was a person, that that void that she's feeling is a person. Yeah. And w- also wonders why she was crying at the end of the, uh, the f- when she, quote, fought the Shadow Lord and rescued Yona, because she didn't do that. So she's wondering why she's crying in that moment. Um, and this is something that I was very happy to see, is that you get to play as Kaine in this section. And it was a breath of fresh air, even if yeah. it's not that different, it's still different enough. Yep. And it's not a very long section, really. Once you trigger that, it's not, I mean, you're maybe 90 minutes from the end, right? I mean, maybe two hours at the most. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a breath of fresh air. It really is like you just, the kind of the dodge, the dodge roll being that like cartwheel thing and the kind of like, you know, like it just to be able after 35, 40 hours of this <laughs> game to just be controlling something different uh-huh. was enough. It was enough. It was cool. Really cool. Yeah. And so now things get into a an area of the story that I, I really don't know what's going on. Um, I yeah. was just kind of along for the ride at this point. But you go into the the big tree in the Forest of Myth. Um, I guessed that it was like a hub or a server or mm. something for Project Gestalt uh, because – this universe has big things like that. That's kind of what yeah. I figured. Do you, do <laughs> yeah. you have any uh-huh. insight on no the story I, portion I, of this? <laughs> I wish I did. I was trying to draw an allegory between the the two kind of like children of light you meet down there, mm-hmm. um, and trying to relate them to the twins that you fight in Aut- Automata. Um, I don't think they're the same. I've done some reading. I don't believe they're the same. Um, mm-hmm. And and I, I was looking for more meaning there than I think it necessarily was presenting me with. Um, but no, uh, it seems like, but you're basically fighting your way through what appears to be a, some sort of organic computer server type of situation. Yeah. And you are kind of fighting this impossible enemy and all seems lost. And then Emil shows up, which was, uh, you know, it would have been a big tease if you played the original near, cause you know, again, as far as I understand it, this was not in the original game. And so you just have that teaser of Emil's head rolling around talking to himself, but then no payoff like this. So we do get that payoff. Emil is back. Yeah. Emil comes back and you get to the, the most satisfying part of this ending, except for the ending itself of, of this playthrough was that there is a good, let's call it a 10 minute combat sequence where you and Emil just get to absolutely kick ass. 
Yeah. I mean, you are just kicking ass. And you're not killing shades, really. You're killing these manifestations of yourself generated by the computer program to try to Mm -hmm. take you down in this metaphor of being defeated by your own self all those things that you could you could draw from that those images but you just get to absolutely destroy it it feels like you know it's it's just like two pals getting back together to do what they do best and yes but guilt-free in an in in a pursuit of the truth type of thing It, it really was cathartic yeah yeah, I, I agree. It was a lot of fun. Um, Kaine is really fun to control. And yeah. again, it's not that different from Nier, but it is different. And I appreciated that at this point in the game. Um, Kaine makes a comment here that I thought uh, was, you know, kind of setting up what was going to happen. Because I didn't know what Route E was going to be like. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what we were working for um, until she mentions that they she thinks they used to fight with someone else. Yep. And I was like, oh, okay, we're going to try to bring him back. Okay. Yep. Um, so the next section, I really, I, I don't know what's going on, really. You're no, inside of um, the the hacking matrix from Near Automata, inside the computer system, basically. And you fight some kind of unwinnable bosses. I think the point of this is that Kaine is kind of fighting against her memories, basically, uh, all of her past, you know, bad experiences. And... <laughs> I thought this was, I didn't have a better explanation for how she does it, except through sheer force of anger, she undoes <laughs> ending D and yeah. wills near back. Yeah. Um, it, it really, um, there's, uh, this is going to sound really dumb, Dave. I apologize. <laughs> Bring it. But there's this, there's this moment in uh, a side quest in Goat Simulator 3. Now, okay. to believe it's hold on, to hold the phone. There's a side quest, go Simulator three, Simulator three, where the quest objective is fix the computers, uh-huh. and your response as the goat is to destroy all the computers. Yes, and that's and that's how you complete <laughs> the quest. Like I fixed it by destroying everything, and that's mm-hmm. what this feels like. Like you said, sheer expression of anger and will, just unleashing her hell on everything around her, and to somehow brute force her way into getting what she wants. Um. Yeah, I don't know if there's a good way I can explain it other than it was fun to do and but I don't necessarily can't wrap my head around the why. Perhaps it's like a this computer system is the thing that is making the world the way it is and if she destroys her way through it then she can undo things that have been done. That's the best yeah. I can come up with, but it's not really important because, you know, you're inside of a computer system everything's all weird anyway it's sci-fi craziness so who cares um so i'm gonna go with my original theory which is that again through sheer force of anger (laughs) kaine undoes the past (laughs) and um a giant flower erupts from the ground with a uh, reborn near there uh, with kaine and with emil and there's a nice quote here very jrpg where they say Mm -hmm. Even though our journey was meaningless, even if we made mistakes, even if the world ends, we journey with the people we cherish. And that is a big takeaway for the game for me, again, that the character group is so good together. And that was what really matters to them at the end of the day. Yeah, I think, like I said, and I'm not saying that this is a cop out. I wanted to talk about it with you, like uh, about this ending and and. It doesn't necessarily erase what had happened. Um, I'm not sure. They don't really get into it if by re- 
by near and, and she she talks about this as she's fighting through the computer she's getting very mad about it remembering this person remembering these things there's no real we don't really get a sense it's not like they do a six months later and they show them all having a picnic together or anything you know right you don't know what what did they just rebuild is is near going to come back with all of his memories is is yona gonna suddenly now remember near because because um uh Kine does like it doesn't get into that and i don't think it needs to mm-hmm. um it just shows this kind of rebirth by through a literal blossoming flower. Yeah. That, um, that, that this through, you know, through remembering the ones that we journey with through the memories of those that we love, we can kind of rebuild and, and, and forge on. Yeah. And, and that's what I took from it. Um, yeah. now you said you, you, you experienced something. What, how did that, how did that whole, uh, that ending make you feel about the experience? Yeah. So, Initially, I was kind of surprised that you get this happy ending here, that everything seems to work out the way that you wanted, uh, because you, you, at some point throughout Route E, you start to realize this is what you're working toward, and then now this is what you want. You want Nier to come back. And mm-hmm. the reason I don't think this is a cop-out, the reason I, th- I still think it fits with the, the rest of the themes from this game, I mean, from what uh, Yoko Taro apparently values in storytelling, is that you can keep playing this after the end because it restores your save file, but it restores you back in root C and D. So you're setting up a cycle of unhappiness and terrible <laughs> yeah. endings. So yeah. you did get what you wanted. You got your happy ending, but now what? You're yep. right back where you were, which I do, I do think fits really well into this game. Yeah, it it sets you right back on the path that you've already tread However many times now, you know, yeah. and, and, and set you, and you can go back in there and you can do those menial side quests again. You can get the achievement. This is part, one of the biggest reasons I didn't go back and try to get all the achievements for the game. And it's not that I wouldn't have enjoyed the process just being in that world and all those things, but like, but to what end? Like to, to what end am I doing that? To, to what am I actually accomplishing by bringing all of these bits of scrap to the junk heap to level up all these weapons to, mm-hmm. to, to deliver the 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 mutton pieces to the same lady on the same bench who always needs ten of them, like yep. it just puts you back on this cycle, uh, like you said, the cycle of unhappiness. I thought it was very well written, <laughs> and it's not untrue. It, you can go, you hey, congratulations, you've restored everything that you lost, but what does that even mean? Right. And that's something to consider. And um, yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't think, and this is where I have to give my thanks to you because I, I don't know that independently of these conversations that you have with other people and, and mm-hmm. uh, how lucky I am to record these podcasts and to have these thoughts, like bounce these ideas off each other. I'm not sure I come to all this independently. And that's one of the great things about, you know, uh, there's a lot of terrible bad things about internets and forums and, and Reddit pages, but there's also a lot of great things like this. Or yes. You read other people's experiences and their thoughts and their feelings about this. And just the fact that this game about nothingness, about meaninglessness, ha- spawns th- so many critical thoughts, spawns so many emotions from all these people. Mm-hmm. Um shows that there is meaning to the nothingness you know it's it's like it's like snake eating it's it's this ouroboros type of situation yeah. <laughs> where you know like it's 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 something special as you like to say video games man yeah video <laughs> games man they're all right they are all right yeah and and um i i you know extend that to you too uh, talking with people um on the show and talking with you today has been um enlightening for me to get through you know 
unfinished thoughts and, you know, questions that I had and stuff like that too. And the things that I brought to this conversation were things that I've, you know, taken from here and there, people in uh, the discord mm-hmm. server, uh, that have been a big help, uh, especially I want to shout out, uh, weep Lord and Moonborn, uh, staples of the discord server who have, who had fully formed opinions about the themes of this game when I was playing it for the first time. And so greatly benefit from bouncing ideas off of them. And then to bring that and bounce ideas off of you, this is exactly why I want to do a podcast like this. Yeah. So it's awesome. Hell yeah. And not to, not, this is not a plug. It's not my discord server. I I've now been a part of the discord server for a short amount of time. That is a welcoming and awesome group of people. If you want to be a part of a Discord server where people are supportive, people have interesting ideas, people that just share fun anecdotes and not and and there's nothing about that Discord server that I don't go on it doesn't bring me joy. I don't post that much on it, but I'm reading everything everybody's posting. It's just it's a really nice group of people that mm-hmm. like that are enthusiastic about the same things and yeah. are supportive of the things that other people are enthusiastic about. So it, it's been a really nice place to see these ideas kind of take, you know, textual shape. Good, good. I'm glad you feel that way. Um, the internet's dark and full of terrors as we know, but it's, there are lots of really cool spaces um, yeah. within the internet. Uh, so when you do find a good place and, you know, I agree, I think that the, the people that, the the type of people who want to join a discord server and come in and talk with me and you and a bunch of other people, we all, you know, generally feel the same way about things. Um, even if yeah. we have different opinions about stuff, we value the same things. That's what I'm trying to say. So yeah, yeah that works out really well. Uh, this recording has been everything I hoped it would be. Um, this game had a lot of meat on the bone and I'm happy with, um, happy with how this went. So Brian, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to talk about this. And, and, and it, as many times as you'll let me back on to talk about whatever it is, um, I'm sure we'll find a game that we won't just both gush about at some point. <laughs> but it, uh, this has been this, this, I wouldn't have played this game without this recording. I wouldn't have mm. found the time for it. I would have, it would have sat on the backlog not to be it to reference the show. And, and now that, now that <laughs> it's not, yeah. Yeah. And now, but now that it's not, it's become something that's very, that something I uh, experience I hold very near and dear. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, 100%. So um, again, everyone listening, thank you for listening. I will say one more time to check out Kane and Rince and Character Issues for various video game conversations. Um, Always good stuff. I got them in my weekly rotation uh, all the time. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Brian, thank you one more time. Tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog.